NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with, but saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had, pay off your credit card debt, and even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started, and you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Get even more from the hottest new podcast going my world with Jeff Jarrett over at adfreeshows.com. Let me get granular here for a minute, folks. Not only can you get the entire my world episode library with zero ads, new episodes come your way each week early ad free and on video starting at just nine bucks a month. We've also got tons of exclusive my world bonus content waiting for you. Plus unique interactive experiences with your old pal, double J. You get to jump on and ask Jeff questions. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, you got to hang out the entire weekend. Just recently, we sat down with Robbie the Highlander to clear the air on what really happened that night at the TNA taping in Orlando. We also had Jeff join fellow WWE Hall of Famer and ad-free partner Eric Bischoff to watch Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson's very first match and even talked with Tony Falk about breaking into the wrestling business. And how about this? There's only one place to get all this exclusive content and experiences, and that's by strutting over to adfreeshows.com right now, where you get my world and all of my podcasts early and ad-free on video for as low as $9 a month. That's just 30 cents an episode, 100% the best value in all of wrestling. Strut on over to adfreeshows.com right now to sign up. Recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to My World. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, your friend and mine, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Woo! You'll talk four horsemen just right out of the gate, Conrad. Well, just. Okay, we won't. Hey, we did a brand reveal in baseball. We did a third man. God, Conrad, I can't wait to get rolling on this episode. I work Saturday night in Dallas, and this whole episode is about the final nail. I've got, I've got Easter eggs throughout this episode, Connie. It's uh, it's gonna be a fun one, pal. It's gonna be a fun one. But if you want to start on the four horsemen logic, we can. But I'll, I'll let you're steering the ship, pal. Go ahead. The final nail in the coffin of world-class is our topic today. But before we do, let's talk about the four horsemen, the four horsemen of Dallas Supershowlive.com has been revealed. We've been teasing now for at least a couple of weeks. Who is the third man? And it was revealed. It'll be myself, Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff and brother Nero. Can you believe the charismatic enigma? Jeff Hardy, the one and only, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And a couple of weeks ago, I said, it ain't who you think it is, <laughs> buddy. We checked all the boxes on that one. Did we not? A lot of fun. It's, it's one of the things about, uh, our partner in crime. No, our partner, Eric Bischoff, what's he say about surprise, uh, in storytelling. It yep. was a surprise. I, I know in my, uh, little small focus group of, of buddies that are at the gym and, uh, a couple of text exchanges uh, that, you know, I'm just, I had a bunch of people guessing. Nobody came close. Conrad, let me ask you this. 
who was the most guessed person that obviously ended up being wrong? Let me tell you who my first, like a lot of guesses that I got that I'm like, sure. Nope. And they're saying, yeah, Scott Steiner, me and him go back 30 years. Yeah. They're like, I know that's going to be a train wreck. So for future notice, boss man, I think big Papa pump with a live mic <laughs> and a live show. I think he may be a home run, but uh, no, uh, nobody guessed Jeff Hardy. Not no. one person. No, not one that I saw on Twitter, or Instagram, not, none of my text exchanges, no emails, no nothing. It's same, pretty cool. Same for me. I didn't get a single person who guessed Jeff Hardy, but I guess you need to hurry over to supershowlive.com and pick up your tickets. This is going to sell out. By the way, if you're not planning on being in Dallas, let me just let you know now. No problem. Fight is the exclusive home. Go to supershowlive.com. They've got all your details on how to pre-order the pay-per-view. And by pre-ordering, <clears throat> you're going to get a little surprise. I don't think Fight wants us to announce what that is right now, but I'll tell you this. It is going to be a collectible that everyone talks about and everyone wants. Uh, there's a whole lot of fun stuff happening at supershowlive.com. So if you haven't already, go check it out. It's supershowlive.com. Dallas Gillies, we're coming to you, baby. April 1st. Conrad. And you know, obviously the, the entire weekend, um, is built around WrestleMania and, uh, brother Nero has some really cool. I can't wait till you get in and we get granular, but no, Jeff's got some real cool WrestleMania moments, uh, throughout his career. So, um, going to be a lot of fun, pal. Going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. As far as I know, this will be the first time he's had an open forum to sort of tell his story about what happened and you know what we're talking about and what might be happening in the future. So we're going to get down to, uh, the long and the short of it, April 1st, supershowlive.com. And by the way, we're not done. Uh, (laughs) there are multiple surprises planned. I don't want to tip my hand here. But I will tell you this, everyone will be talking about that show. As soon as it's over, it'll be all over social media. And you want to be able to say you were there. Of course, part of this experience is you get to come in, do a happy hour with us. There's going to be a meet and greet an opportunity to get all your pictures and autographs and the whole deal. Then some stories we haven't been able to tell here on the podcast. And you never know who might stop by because we're not done. Check it out. Supershowlive.com. And I want to jump right into today's topic, Jeff, because we have about 50 pages of notes. That's not an exaggeration. So I guess we're not talking baseball. Uh, sure. I guess we're not, I, I, I guess we're not talking. <laughs> no, we unveiled the lucky horseshoes. I'm just, I'm, I'm teasing you Conrad. We'll, we'll talk about it, but no, I know we've got to get down to, but the, the, the brand unveil, um, two seventeen Thursday, two seventeen was a smashing success. We got orders in a couple of days, uh, ordering merchandise of, I think we're over like 28 or 29 or 30. I don't know exactly where it's at, like 30 states. So uh, that was a fun little game that our social media team started playing. We're trying to get an order from every state, all 50 states to sell a lucky horseshoe, uh, some merch, but no, it's cool. The branding's cool. Uh, the team, uh, partnered with a, a really cool branding company and anyway, lucky horseshoes. It's, it's a lot of fun. Let me ask you Conrad. And, um, since we're both fine connoisseurs of, of good food, like G's and uh, all kinds of appetites and, and our, our, our buddy Cassio is a fine kind of sir. Do you know what a horseshoe is? A horseshoe sandwich. No, the lucky horseshoes 
Lucky is for Abe Lincoln and the penny and all that. But the horseshoe thinks, oh, that's for horses. No, a horseshoe sandwich back in the 20s was named, and it's super famous in central Illinois. It's two pieces of Texas toast, two hamburger patties, fries, and cheese sauce. And it's a big heart attack waiting to happen. But no, the horseshoe sandwich, we did the research, and people – it's it's truly Springfield's own. So that's that's uh, it's a really cool story and everything's taken off. So, all right, now a lot of fun in my world, a lot got- of fun. It was a lot of fun to unveil a brand new brand. You don't get to do that very often. So it was uh, in my world, Conrad. I know not in the podcast world, not in the wrestling world, but in in my world, a lot of fun, a lot of work went into all that. So we are elated at how it's been received, and uh, let's talk about the final nail. Let's do it, man. Let's jump right into it. Uh, by the way, this is, uh, we don't market it this way for a variety of reasons, but this is essentially part three of a long story about when Jeff Jarrett's father, Jerry Jarrett decided to buy into or bought the Dallas territory. So, uh, we're going to pick it up where we left off the observer that would drop on July 10th would actually recap what happened the prior week. And the big story that week was all the holes in the soap opera bidding war for controlling interest of world-class wrestling. Of course, the idea is we're going to have opposing sides. And what do you know? We're going to settle this with a match. Um, we've got Eric Embry beating Tojo Yamamoto for Yamamoto's controlling interest in world-class Embry is then going to play president for two weeks and allow himself to take credit for all the seats being $4 on June 23rd. Uh, Then he's going to turn over control to Max Andrews. Now, in reality, Max Andrews is the guy who's really the head of your syndicated network, and he's still going to be handling the syndication for this group and action media group will simply handle the ad sales, just like they've done with the NWA syndicated package. Now, this is WCW just for clarification. Yeah, it's this is a different era. I just want to make sure everybody understands, you know, this is before quote unquote television rights. So the idea is if you don't have a big national TV show and really besides Turner, who does the move is to have a syndicated network. Vince had one, Ted Turner had one, and now you guys have one uh, as well as some others. But the idea is even if there's not a, a lot of money at the gate, you can make a lot of money on ad sales because you've got this huge reaching audience that becomes a national audience through these syndicated TVs. Now it would be reported here that there are some. Well, issues with, uh, some fans in the crowd, but before we get there, I want to mention the whole angle here about who's got controlling interest, the, why, why this matters. It's speculated in the newsletters. We suspect this is how they're going to explain that world-class as a brand will no longer exist. And they're going to do a name change to the USWA. I just wanted to sort of put our stamp on. That's the reason they're doing the angle, right? Jeff. Conrad, do you remember our text exchange at some point last week when we looped in researcher and I said, Hey, what about this idea? Because, you know, we're talking 30 something years ago and we're, we're almost coming up on the 40th anniversary of, of, uh, Fritz von Eric retirement match. So Derek sent us that email, Conrad, I don't know if you can pull that up, but just how big WCCW was. It, 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 it had, 
you know, I don't know if they're, they're certainly not the, the first, but in, in the early eighties, I know Shea Stadium was in the seventies, a big stadium show there. And there, look, there's, there's been all kinds of things, but flair versus Kerry Von Eric for the NWA world title was an event that I remember hearing about and talking about, and look, there's a, a Fritz retirement match and, and there's the free bird angle, our good buddy, Michael PS Hayes and the free birds and the Von Eric's there's some events that I think Conrad, we could do this episode justice to just kind of set the table that That's this fair. is the final, this is the final nail in a mega territory, like a mega, mega, mega with mega stars. And, and just the highlight of WCCW, maybe the original where the big boys play. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it was a, it's, I'll shut up, Conrad. I'll let you take it from here. 82 to 86 were really the boom years for world-class. The whole Von Eric Freebird thing started on Christmas night in 82 when Michael Hayes slams the cage door shut on Kerry Von Eric and his match against Ric Flair for the NWA title. Then they do the parade of champions, uh, May 6th, 1984. It's the David Von Erich Memorial show. You were talking about, we would finally see Kerry win the NWA world title, beating Ric Flair in front of 32,000 fans at Texas stadium process that y'all yeah, I was going to say 32,000 fans would have been more that had attended most wrestling events here in America, certainly more than Jim Crockett. Uh, and, and this is May 6th, 84. This is before. Yes, Hulkamania started in January of 84, but we weren't, we weren't yet running stadiums or domes or what have you. So 32,000 fans was unheard of in that era, but it happened. Uh, Fritz came out of retirement for that show. It was a six man where he's going to team with his sons, Mike and Kevin, and they're going to beat the Freebirds to win the world six man titles. Uh, they started international syndication and they were really one of the first outfits to do that. I mean, they were over like Rover over in Israel. Jesus. And then there's some, some deaths in the company that are really going to hurt, uh, you know, certainly some of the Von Eric boys and Gino Hernandez, but just looking at the cotton bowl, I mean, that is such a huge event in 84. They ran there with 12,000 folks in 85. They ran there with 26,000 folks. And that's when they did the hair versus hair deal. Uh, they were back there in 86 in front of 5,800. And then I guess one last time in 87 for 3,700. But the parade of champions, man, through 84, 85 and 86, it's another level, but it does tell an interesting story. May 6th, 84, as we mentioned, 32,123 fans, May 5th, 1985, 26,153 fans, May 4th, 1986, 24,121 fans. So mm. even on a decline, it's still a monster amount of people. And then. Well, wrestling changes May 3rd, 1987 on the heels of WrestleMania three, 5,900 fans. And then May 8th, 1988, 7,000 fans. There's some high watermarks here in the, in the professional wrestling business set by world-class. And what we're talking about today is it circling the drain. Um, yeah. so now that we've sort of got that in place, let's talk about these troublesome fans. Uh, this would be directly from the observer. The TV taping this past Saturday is going to be quite interesting because things like freedom of speech and freedom of expression seem to be something that wrestling promoters can't deal with. There's been an ongoing battle and this is when it is all told it's going to sound like a wrestling angle, but it isn't Eric Embry against a small, but vocal group of heel fans that sit in section D at the sportatorium each week. 
one would think you would be thankful to have such loyal fans. But of course that isn't the case when they have the audacity to boo the booker. Of course, the more times Embry tries to taunt and shut up the group, the larger and more vocal they become. Finally, two weeks back, they roped off section D and only let the wrestlers, wives and girlfriends and families in the section. So the heel fans were scattered and somehow wind up, wound up right in front of the interview area. When Embry came out for his interview, he saw the fans right in front of him, grumbled a few words, dropped the mic and walked off and wouldn't do an interview on the TV show. This past Saturday at the taping before it was Embry's time for an interview, they kicked out two fans for no reason, except for the fact that they were cheering Skandar Akbar earlier in the show. When Embry did his interview, there were chants of boring and Embry stopped again and asked whoever thought it was boring to raise their hands. Two guys did and the rest backed down. Embry then asked the rest of the crowd if they should kick them out and the fans cheered and then they kicked the fans out. Well, it turns out the ACLU was contacted about this and is chomping at the bit to get involved in such an easy case since cheering Skandar Akbar isn't exactly a sufficient reason to kick a fan out of the building. Now, Jeff, you've dealt with this a lot in TNA, but this is probably the first time you saw it in real life, right? So Conrad, this past Saturday, I was actually in Dallas. Sort of went back home or the home away from home, and it was crazy. The The hotel that I stayed at is the exact exit it used to take where my apartment was at. Uh, but Conrad, VIP Saturday uh, opened at 5 and showed in start to 7. So in the VIP line, guess who one of the uh, people that walked up and said, hey, let me show you something here. And we went through a bunch of pictures, but he was actually a heel fan that used to sit in exit uh, section D who actually got kicked out from his seat. And I said, Hey man, give me the story. So Conrad, I got a firsthand recount this past Saturday night and we just chatted back and forth. And, and there was folks there that were ushers that night and we'll get through it during this episode. I got to see Mark Lawrence. So feel free when his name comes up and James Beard was there, but anyway, Action Jackson, I could Chris Germany. There's all kinds of guys that were Saturday night, but I asked the fan, I said, walk me through when all that, he says, we were heel fans and, 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 and our whole design kind of was, we're going to rile everybody up because we wanted people to boo us. We knew that we were in the minority and he didn't say it without saying it. it's heel fans. They want to be a part of the show. I can remember my father giving me a quick education when i went to the ring just to referee matches he said son don't have rabbit ears you can, the, the more you give them attention the louder they're going to get so i got that lesson actually long before i had my first match and i asked the guy saturday night and i said okay so you were on eric and then it sort of blended over to chris and he said yeah they're the only ones that paid attention to us and i went aha so, cause I, I, you know, as we were going through the research and the, the other two podcasts, I don't remember them ever giving me a hard time and maybe they did. And I just didn't pay attention to them, but it's uh, kind of fascinating, but I did witness it. Yeah. We had a heel section at TNA. It's the episodic nature of our industry. There used to be a group in, in Memphis. I mean, heel fans exist everywhere. Let me say this again. That's what we used to call them. Now it's. It is what it is. People voice their opinion, good or bad. And now you have social media and people can interact and troll and all kinds of stuff like that. But yeah, firsthand account, but I sort of cackled when the AC, you read that that's, it's almost like the Dallas morning news 
doing the research on a prosthetic foot. Now, all of a sudden, we got the ACLU. <laughs> it continued, oh, though. Man. I mean, Chris Adams is going to lose control at the Saturday taping when one fan is yelling boring during his interview. He's on TV threatening to beat up the fan and then storms <laughs> off. Uh, I, I do want to mention something kind of interesting happened on July 14th. There's 900 fans here at the Sportatorium. Kerry Von Erich beats Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, very early bam, bam. The winner is going to get a shot at Lawler in a match, but Mr. T is here. That's right. That Mr. T he's at ringside yelling at Carrie to jump in the ring and beat the count. So he gets the win. And surprisingly enough, Mr. T got virtually no reaction, which I can't put my finger on what a megastar he was here. And relatively fresh off of the whole WrestleMania extravaganza. I mean, just a few years prior, um, Carrie did a, a funny interview at the time where he's saying that uh, me and Mr. T stand for the same things, Jesus Christ and wholesome living. And we know that Mr. T really did, but that's probably all that needs to be said about that. Um, I do want to mention Eric Embry once again is having fans kicked out during his interview. Uh, Adams is going to lose control for the second week in a row. Uh, and, and just fans chanting, boring at him. It's this is the first time this has happened. It throws the guys completely off their game when the fans quote unquote, aren't following the script, right? Yeah. The, it's, you know, they want that baby face reaction, but I, you know, again, reading this research and reliving it and actually getting to talk to some folks Saturday night about all this. Wow. Has the business changed and wow, has it evolved? But then some things on, um, I had a conversation. I, I was re- Conrad, uh, Conrad, I was retelling the story to some guys in the back and we had the conversation and, and they were going and I said, but you know, it's, it's like today in Twitter, why some people feel compelled to reply to a comment and the person who tweets it may have 30 followers, but a guy has 1 million followers and replies to the 30 follower guy, which gives the attention to a comment that may or may not need to be responded to, but it's like, why in the world people think they have to respond? Silence is a response. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of bizarre, but yep. Uh, strange times, my friend, when the heel fans are literally taking and rewriting the show. And then you talked about Mr. T that was sort of a classic carry Von Eric one Oh one. We didn't have a clue. I can remember thinking that the same Mr. T that was at mania, yeah. the same guy's going to be here tonight. Well, yeah. We just found out about an hour ago. Okay. And he's doing what people didn't have a clue because Mark Lawrence wasn't queued in and Carrie says, Hey, we're going to do this. It's thinking through, I call it, you know, the, the, the WWF mentality, literally, you know, Vince has the, the production values and the storytelling and the layout down to the most minute detail. Even if it's a third hour of challenge match, back, I mean, just thinking things through, nobody knew who in the hell T was. And he was a, in the wrestling world, a part of the biggest main event to date in history. And nobody knew who he was on a Friday night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Hey, so real quick, I was talking to a longtime friend of the show last week, and he told me that he tried to refinance and save with Conrad.com last year, but we weren't able to help him because we weren't licensed in his state yet. Now that was Massachusetts. We are licensed there now. In the meantime, though, he went to one of those big national companies that you've seen on TV. He got an absolutely great rate, but he was explaining to me that, man, he had this big RS bill coming and uh, things were a little tight. He had these credit card balances that had been hanging around for years and he had these two car payments. And I said, wait, 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 what do you owe on your house? And he told me, and I said, what do you think your house is worth? And he said, well, it's a lot more now. And he told me, and I said, dude, I've got just the plan. Just last year, he signed up for a 20 year loan at a great rate. Now we've been able to get him down to 10 years. That's right. 10 years. He's going to own his house free and clear in just 10 years. And I know what you're thinking, man, I can't afford to do that. I would argue you can't afford not to. Here's what I'm talking about. He's got a three-year-old and an eight-year-old in 10 years. His kids are going to be 13 and 18. And if life goes according to plan, what do we hope happens when our kids graduate high school? They go off to college and that's very expensive. The time to think about how you're going to pay for college isn't when your kids are seniors in high school. It's time to get a long-term plan for your finances. And I don't just mean your income, but I mean your debt. Here's what we did. We took a look at what his monthly payments were on both of his car payments and we compared the balances. Then we did the same with the credit cards. And by the way, he told me he felt stuck. He had been making minimum payments for years. He felt like they'd made no headway in at least five years. This credit card debt had just hung around at a crazy high interest rate, but maybe worst of all, now he had this big IRS bill. What was he going to do? He went to save with Conrad.com and how's this for starters? No payments for two months. That's the cash infusion he needed for his family right now. But more importantly than that, he cut nine years off of his loan. He went from 19 years left down to just 10 years and his monthly payments went down. Yes, he got a better interest rate. He got rid of all of his credit card debt and he got rid of his car payments. But most importantly, he's completely debt free by the time his kids start getting really expensive. You know what I'm talking about? If you've got young kids, you probably think, man, these little dudes are expensive. Wait until they start driving cars and going to college. We're going to help you get a solution for your short-term goals, which is to free up some of that cash flow. We're talking a break from payments for two months, but more importantly, lower monthly payments. But more importantly, it's going to check your box long-term. He cut nine years off of his loan. Now, had he not done that, both of his kids would have been going to college and dude, nobody wants to pay a mortgage and college tuition for two. Get in front of this, make a plan with savewithconrad.com and do it right now. Interest rates are on the rise. The Fed is going to raise the rates. And who knows what's going to happen with real estate values? Lord knows we've all seen that bubble burst before. Make the best decision you can for your family with my family. Savewithconrad.com is routinely helping our podcast listeners change their life. I know it sounds silly. It sounds too good to be true, but it's real and we can do it for you. We're probably licensed in your state. We're in over 40 states now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And here's the thing, man. If you give us a call and you've got a great rate and you don't have any other debt and you're already in a 15 year loan, we might say, Hey man, you got a good deal. Just keep doing what you've been doing. But don't you want the peace of mind of knowing you've got the best deal for your family? This is the perfect opportunity. Your house is worth more than ever. Rates are on the rise right now. And if you've got debt, lock it in right now at SaveWithConrad.com. And I want to mention, had he not had this conversation with us last week, 
he would have been stuck making those minimum payments on those credit cards and maybe even worse had to open a new credit card to pay the irs dude that is a bad decision you know you can do better than that get the best rate you've ever had get out of debt faster keep more of your own money at savewithconrad.com Jeff, I just love talking about chili sleep. I love chili sleep so much that all of my friends and family at this point have one. Hell, I even got one for uh Cassio kid for Christmas. He's telling me he's sleeping better than ever. What do you think of your chili sleep so far, dude? It is absolutely awesome. And I just have one request. When I come to stay down at the Conradison, can you get one for the guest bed? Because I love my chili sleep at home. So I need one on the road. If you don't mind, dude, you know, what's funny. You say that I actually have to, I have one to travel with. So this weekend, uh, we're going to be bunking up at an Airbnb. I'm bringing my chili sleep. I'm not kidding. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering your core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep is going to help restore your testosterone levels, repair your muscles after a hard day's work and improve your cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Now, Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that really do help you improve your entire well being. And I'm living proof of that. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and the Cube Sleep System. I have the Uller, it's a hydro power temperature controlled mattress topper. It fits over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. And these luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. Now these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili sleep can make that happen. So head on over right now to chillysleep.com forward slash mindworld to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for my world with Jeff Jarrett listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili C H I L I sleep.com slash my world to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. You'll be glad you did. Let's, uh, let's keep it going here and mention that, uh, the Torchwood report, Chris Von Erich is slated to begin wrestling this summer. Of course, Kevin Von Erich is already no showing again. And, uh, <laughs> they're reporting in the observer that Jeff Jarrett is supposed to work some dates in Florida in August. And they're trying to work with the Jarrett's to bring in some world-class wrestlers to Florida. Is that your first time checking out Florida? I did never go and I can remember just like very little chatter, but that was more of a, I call it a more of Dave. Dave knew more about Florida than I did candidly. So this past week, uh, I guess we're still calling it world-class, but everybody understands it's going to be changed to the USWA because of these matches that are happening for controlling interest of the company. Um, the saga of Chris Adams continues. He's going to be a big part of our show here. A fan somewhere here gives Chris Adams a two by four that has a nail in it. And he hands Chris Adams a knife. So Chris brings him out for his interview. Uh, okay. Uh, a a nail with a two by four. I guess I've seen that in some wrestling, but a knife buddy, I can count on one hand. The amount of times I've seen a knife on television that feels like one of the unwritten no-nos of professional wrestling. Is it not? Conrad, remember the old saying that went around a couple of years ago? It's still real to me, damn it. Yeah. That, that, that's the deal. It, it was still real to some Texans. Um, you could say a knife and a two before with a nail coming out of it. Pretty strong stuff. 
So for the week of August 7th, the observer would write the Dallas Sportatorium sold out to the tune of 3000 plus for the match that ended the world-class era. Eric Embry uh, beat Phil Hickerson in a cage. And by the terms of the match, the promotion is now called USWA. Embry is going to tear down all the world-class banners all over the sportatorium. And now I guess the USWA is officially the deal. Matt watch mm-hmm. would say, look for the full world-class conversion to USWA by the end of the month for September to start in all the syndicated markets. And the next week there would be a follow-up. There's no visible signs of any changes with the name change. In fact, the syndicated TV show is still being called world-class. Although we know that will change. I bring this up because this name was so well branded. We just talked about all the high watermarks, but there is a, a, a decision made by your father. We got to get away from this name. And we've talked a little bit about that in our, our episodes in the archives. Go check it out. I think a lot of it comes down to what I like to call consumer confidence. We had as in, in wrestling parlance goes killed the town and we need to regain that confidence. So rather than go back with this heritage brand that maybe had a little stink on it, let's just do a name change. Uh, did you feel like TNA did that when they rebranded themselves as impact? <sighs> Did I, I no, I, I don't because TNA never went and look at, I was the biggest supporter, but it never went away. It was still there. It was, you know, yes, they changed it to impact wrestling, but then TNA was still there because the international folks told Dixie, you're shooting yourself in the foot. TNA is what is selling around the world. It doesn't have the same double entendre uh, outside of the U.S. You've branded this for seven years and eight years and nine years. TNA equity's there. The live event department told Dixie, no, Impact is the TV show. So was it the same thing? Yes, it was an attempt at rebranding, but the people, it was that, that was, you know, look, hindsight's always 2020, but that was a disaster the rebranding of TNA in every sense of the, because it was never, it was half-assed done on every level, even on TV. Cause there were, there were still a TNA championship, but impact wrestling was the name of the, anyway, we, I'll get myself confused, let alone everybody else listen to this, but this branding, a lot of lessons that I got to observe as really a, a very young man in that I was the guy who looked through wrestling magazines, like a lot of us and knew how strong the WCCW brand was with, with all the Von Erics. And again, I was sitting there as you were, people don't really understand that Fritz Von Erich was the owner of the territory and he was a legendary main eventer, but along come these boys that wrestling fans would show up at Kerry Von Erich's high school football game by the bus loads. So there was a fan base for the Von Erich boys before they ever stepped into the ring. And so they took the Von, the, the brand and took it to heights like never seen before. And then here we are not that long later. What is this? 89, 88, 89, yeah, 89. 89. And we're having a, a, a match with a brand new brand with Eric Embry, obviously not a Von Eric, obviously not any really d- direct connection and Phil Higgerson, uh, 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 hell of a hand, but he, you know, he wasn't, uh, any spring chicken at this point in his career and he built, so the building, this match sold out. So I learned as a lesson that if you have the right story, you, you can, you can make a lot of money and, you know, 
Von Eric's weren't around this. So anyway, the but it, the, the whole rebranding exercise and knowing where Max Andrews and my father were taking the syndication and a, a, a brand new brand, so to be, because the, the USWA brand was brand new to Tennessee up until that point. The Tennessee territory was CWA. So it was a rebranding exercise that wasn't uh, – had a few bumps in the road that we covered on the last episode, Lawler, a heel in one town, baby facing number and all that kind of stuff, but the evolution, the transitioning, but um, yeah, this branding was uh, pretty cool to observe. I'll say that. Let's talk about some other uh, creative stuff. Tony Adams is the newest announcer here for the promotion. She is the real life wife of Chris Adams. It only takes one week before the shooting an angle where Skandar Akbar and his crew are beating him up. Yes, violence on a woman here. And the crowd, of course, plays into a huge, um, big reaction. Uh, the promotion though is, is really struggling. They're trying to revive crowds that seem like they're suddenly floundering again. Meltzer would say they had a big run prior to, and immediately after the name change, since fans had led to believe that this was a new promotion and that things would be changing, but there was considerable disappointment with the crowd after a week of quote unquote, new management that everything was basically the same. And as a result, crowds are down to the point where August 25th, there's only 450 fans there. So your dad or someone with the quote unquote book, try something that I don't think a lot of fans were, were expecting. They have a performer here and I'm going to butcher the name, Terrace Bulba, who Taurus. We, Taurus, who we know as bruiser bedlam, AKA Johnny canine. If you watch dark side of the ring, you know, all about this fellow. He beats Carrie Von Eric in the middle of the ring using the iron claw of all things, which was the, the move that Fritz had made famous, which is clearly like the ultimate humiliation for Carrie. And then Ambry Embry is going to pin cactus Jack in a loser leaves town match in 12 seconds. So the idea that you have Carrie lose to his dad's move to a relative unknown boy, this is shaking it up in a big way. Is it not? And I have lived kind of this micro story over and over and over you, you build, and this is episodic television and you can kind of look at it right now that we're into WrestleMania season and there's going to be cliffhanger after cliffhanger and this person's showing up and that's person showing up. But then all of a sudden, and to go to this story, you know, we built up the name change, the big blow off that sold out. I think the week after that, there's a hell of a house, but we built and built and built and made a lot of money leading up to this. But once the stakes were settled, then all of a sudden, almost you could project it or, or, um, you know, predict this. All right. It's going to go down. We just don't hope it doesn't go down too far down. Well, school was starting back late August and, and that the people had got what they paid to see. And we had to build new heels and build new monsters and build, you know, do a reset and, and rebuild these storylines. And so trying to get Taurus over. And, uh, I, I think, I think Conrad, you maybe can do your quick wizardry. I think Mick was going to WCW. Yes, I think that's he correct. was finishing up. Yeah. Yes. I think he was finishing up and Mick had a great run and he did a scaffold match. And, you know, I think in several of Mick's books, he, he talks about, you know, Tennessee to Texas, it was all part of the growing process to develop his character. And so, um, 
you know, give a reason. I have no idea why I went 12 seconds, but uh, maybe Mick wanted to get on the road and head to Atlanta. I have no idea. Well, a big squash, you know, let's send it out. I mean, let's put somebody over strong on the way out. Foley had never had a problem doing business and ever. he's one of the unsung heroes of wrestling. I mean, when people talk about a Mount, a Mount Rushmore of wrestling, I don't think Foley gets enough praise because look at all the different personas, whether it was heel, whether it was babyface, whether he was a GM, no matter what you put in front of him, he excelled at it. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his and, and really psychology. Yeah, he gets it. He understands it and he has yes. a relationship with the audience. I mean, he's one of the most universally beloved people in wrestling where it, this is an industry where if you talk to enough people, somebody's going to shit on somebody, uh, that almost never happens with Foley universally no. beloved. And you know, Jeff Hardy, same way, but for different they're definitely, you know, they're different performers, all that. But I think at their very core, I think the audience knows them and connects with them because they're good dudes. They're, they're what well, they're not only good dudes, but they're going to walk through the curtain. They're not mailing it in. Nope. I've said it to talent day after day. The audience knows when you're being lazy, yeah. whether you think it or not, they know. And, and those guys go out and would bust their ass. Yes. They do crazy bumps and death divine stuff, but Mick, you're right. That they knew Mick, even as a heel, all right, this guy took a flat back from, from, from the ring to the floor. Damn. Got a lot of respect for that guy. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, we've all heard that confidence can take you far in life, but it can also help in the old bedroom when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where you get the hot tag to Blue Chew. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but it's in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? Well, it's all done online. There's no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA, prepared to ship directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And guys, the ladies have said for years there's nothing sexier than confidence, but Bluetooth can help give you that confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Bluetooth can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean, right now. 
And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. So let's talk about Dallas again. There's no TV for killer Tim Brooks, new promotion, but that does not keep him from drawing 750 fans on August 22nd. Now I just want to remind you world-class who has absolutely dominated TV forever in the historical Dallas Sportatorium draws 450 fans on the 25th, three days before no TV, just local promotion. The Longhorn bar sees 750 people come check out Tim Brooks promotion. They've got former world-class wrestlers too here, like Brian Adias, Scott, uh, Scott Casey, Johnny Mantell, John Tatum. There's real opposition in a freaking bar. Uh, so what do we do? Well, we get a little creative. The USWA angle where Chris Adams wife was attacked. We see her blouse ripped. And it's going to be heavily edited and digitized for syndication. The observer would say the angle was a lot worse on videotape when you see it than whatever you would imagine reading here. It had the exact opposite effect of an angle as what you would expect. An angle should try to get you to buy tickets for the upcoming shows. Instead, watching this, my gut reaction was to turn it off because it was in such bad taste. But it must have been a similar reaction to everyone since the crowds that were 2,000 a week now haven't topped 500. So it's not only violence against women, but now it's going to be edited not just for that, but because her shirt was torn. And, and we're going to do more of that. This is another, this is a precursor to what we would see in ECW. And we're seeing it here in the 80s in Texas. What do you remember about that decision? The, the angle to get his wife involved and, and it had to be pretty controversial here in 1989. I can hear almost the speech that my father would give has given me and gave to Chris Adams in confidence and look, you know, going back to the Beverly Dundee, getting her head shaved and a Lawler versus Dundee uh, hair versus hair, you know, the episodic nature and throwing in love interest and all the emotion with that. So my dad was always up for that kind of stuff. That's in, in his philosophy. That's what sells tickets is that emotional engagement. But, you know, my father always said the mark of a good promoter is knowing when to go up to the line and maybe cross the line. But if you blow through it and go too far past it, you, you not only don't attract new fans, you run off existing fans. 
And the whole dynamic of this was Chris's new wife. And, you know, Chris, from a business perspective, had the wrestling school and ran spot shows and a businessman. So Chris was all in. He was had that nasty habit of wanting to eat. So he would do he he wanted to make a living in every way possible. And, you know, in, in the WCCW heydays, Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez were the top two heels and made a ton of money. But here we are four or five years later, he wanted to get his wife, Tony involved, but they just way, like you teed it up way, way <laughs> went way too far over the line. And it was, I, my father wasn't even pissed off. He was just really, really uh, uh, upset and, and, and going, Chris, you just can't do it that far. Now, you got to remember in the eighties, we didn't have rehearsals. We barely had talk throughs. We just kind of said, Hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And so Dave <laughs> probably right. Yep. You can put it on paper, but when you actually see the execution in the 1989 in 1989 and this going down, Connie, bad taste I've left a bad taste in some folks' minds. So there's just a lot going on here. We got some Von Eric's no showing we've had this change of ownership and it's a whole new promotion and a rebranding. And then fans are largely met with the same roster and same presentation and they're disappointed. Now we've got this violence against women angle. And now this new killer, Tim Brooks promotion is popping up and it's drawing pretty well. Do you remember yourself or your dad thinking, damn, all of a sudden we got real competition from a place we didn't expect it. Well, real competition is relatively speaking. What we were aware of is that they were drawing and look, you know, back in those days, ah, a bar, but Saturday night we were in the Southern junction big Texas dance hall that you just don't really have anywhere. But anyway, so it was a cool atmosphere with talent that they knew, but the local promoter slash the local bar owner, they knew they had an opportunity to get new folks. So they got out and papered and the, you know, uh, so it was a Tuesday night. They used to write, what was it? Tuesday or Wednesday? Anyway, it was a weekday night. So every Friday, Saturday, every night, the bar was open. They're pushing, come watch wrestling, come watch wrestling Tuesday night or Wednesday night. So they're being a, a very micro local promoter to their fan base of people that are already walking through their doors. So all you had to do is give that crowd a reason. Okay. We're there on Friday and Saturday, having a good times. Dad says, you know what? I'm out partying on a Saturday night, but Tuesday, I'm going to bring my wife, uh, or my ex-wife and kids anyway. So they were drawing and, and with named guys. So competition is one thing the, 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 the reality was all right, they're giving the people what they want to see and they're getting out promoting. They didn't have TV. So it, it, I, I just, you know, when somebody get TV, then that's competition until that. No, let's talk about Frank Dusick. It's reported, uh, here in the second week of October that he's out. Meltzer right. I don't have the details on what happened, but he was fired by Jerry Jarrett and no acknowledgement has been made about him on television. The torch would confirm it. Frank Dusick was fired by Jerry Jarrett. So he would no longer be co-hosting with Mark Lawrence, uh, Frank Dusick. What happened? Do you know, you know what? And that was, uh, as you, as we have the collective notes, uh, Eric Embry was not there Saturday night, but that was on my question. I don't, I remember the parting and I don't remember all the minutia. Maybe we'll get Eric on ad freeze. Eric, that's a shout out if you're listening, but, uh, the actual, what went down, I could ask my father at our next lunch, but, 
Uh, Conrad, I, I don't remember, but I definitely re- do remember he was here one week, gone the next. Boom, gone. So the big news in the Observer is that Killer Brooks' first TV taping on October 10th at the Longhorn Bar in Dallas drew 900 fans. That's triple what you've been doing at the Sportatorium shows. And again, it's on a freaking Tuesday night. Now, the bad news is about 40% of the crowd is going to peter out because they got to go to work the next day. So they don't make it the full run of the tapings, but man, he's taping TV now and he's got 900 fans. Damn nation. We might actually have some competition here. And it's funny. The, uh, we'll call it the, uh, not only the underneath talent, but also the, the folks that would help out or assist or the regulars that were going to both shows. Of course, they're going to come tell us, oh, they don't know what they're doing down there. That that show lasted five hours. It, they don't know how to run TV that, you know, all the negative stuff. Then on the other hand, you, you sort of dig through it all and, and realize, okay, this audience, they're, they're, they're not a regular paying sportatorium. They're, they're, they're showing up, uh, two dot, you know, cheap tickets. They got to see a little bit of taping. They went home. It's not that it was a good or bad. It's just, okay, we watched it. We're out. So Frogman LeBlanc is buried on your tapings on the 14th, and they're going to make a big deal about how he's afraid to wrestle the Punisher, who we know now as the Undertaker. But in reality, he was fired for working on Mr. Brooks' show earlier in the week. So maybe this was a competition two weeks ago, but it is now. And if you work for him, your ass is out of here. And guess who I saw Saturday night, Conrad? You saw Frogman. I saw Frogman. Yes, sir. I was walking back from the VIP and he's sitting there and I did a double take. And then he came back in the dressing room and we caught up and had a good time. And it's, uh, man, we, we both shared some names that neither one of us had seen or heard or talked to in 20 something years. But I wish I would have asked him that. But, uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, trying to think would that have been an eric embry call frogman you're not working anymore i'm trying to i wonder who implemented that policy that you can't work for both somebody had their feelings hurt for sure yes sir uh matt watchwood report jerry Jarrett is replacing the cwa show in chattanooga with the uswa and reportedly jerry lawler's pretty miffed about it and so are the area's traditional memphis fans now i just want to put in context what we're talking about here chattanooga is one of the larger cities in Tennessee. So it's in the same state as Memphis where once upon a time, not too long prior to this, my goodness, Memphis wrestling or, or, or Memphis was obsessed with wrestling and Jerry Lawler. And now, well, they're going to start seeing a little more Texas. I could see how Jerry Lawler would be upset with that. So this is where I kind of maybe help you out here, Conrad. That sounds like some good fiction stuff, and I'll tell you why. Chattanooga was never a regular stop since the mid-'70s. So my father wanted to have Memphis Live and take that live 90-minute show, turn it into 60, and that tape went to Nashville, went to Louisville, went to Evansville, maybe one or two, maybe Jackson, Tennessee, but that real small weekly episodic where we were running events, every other market, including Chattanooga was going to start getting, cause the Dallas show was, was, you know, the sportatorium look was better than, uh, WMC studios. So us putting Chattanooga over there, 
you know, it was that that was a that was a positioning because the show looked bigger, and my father was gonna have as many of Tennessee and Texas and other stars on that show. So hypothetically, it would be getting better numbers. Well, he's going to do the same thing in Nashville, at least according to Matt watch, Jerry Jarrett is apparently pulling the traditional CWA wrestling series from the Nashville TV market. Sources tell Matt watch that Jarrett has dropped the CWA show in favor of his USWA program from Dallas. And this marks the second traditional CWA market as in many weeks to lose the Memphis series. Insiders close to Jarrett deny the moves are a prelude to shutting down the CWA, which is something that was rumored earlier this year. So there is now, and we've talked about this in our older episodes. We're trying to serve a few different masters. As we like to say here on the show, we don't necessarily want to kill off Memphis, which has been the golden goose for a long time, but at the same time, man, we got to find something to, to pump some life into this Dallas stuff. So I totally get how we are, uh, I don't know, having to split our time. If you will, I, I want to mention at the end of October, the observer were right. They let kids in free to combat the low crowds and brought Kevin Von Eric back for one shot. And the result was the biggest crowd apparently in recent months, although no word on how much was paid. So at this point we're doing whatever we can to just pack it in. So let's get Kevin Von Eric back and let's let kids in free. And it is not necessarily in theory going to hurt your business. If you've only been drawing 300 or 400, the sportatorium holds a multiple of that man, it looks better when it's full and, and, and it still allows us to sell ads on TV and it feels bigger if there's a bunch of folks in the crowd. But when you start letting people in for free, you're on a slippery slope, aren't you, Jeff? Yeah. When you, it's a blanket, like it's a, a paper in the town when you just give them to everybody, you know, there was a strategic, you couldn't do it a lot. I know in Tennessee way back when May and September kids getting out and in a school, we often did kids tickets, $1 kids tickets, $2 every now and then kids free. That's a, a sort of a marketing tactic because, you know, kids getting in school, you got to buy them school clothes and school supplies. So it, it's a psychologically, Hey, we're going to do this, but you know, it worked. Um, again, we were trying to get folks back in the arena. Um, and you know, obviously the adults, most of the time it would be kids free ticket is what you heard. But in reality is, there's one ticket, free ticket for one paying adult. So mom, if she had three kids, she got one in free and had to pay for two. So now we're going to do something that boy doesn't age. Well, the observer would report from the week of uh, November six, that Terrence Garvin is now doing color commentary on TV with uh, Mark Lawrence. And apparently there's some legit heat because the two don't work together, at least work together. Well. Uh, Lawrence tries not to acknowledge anything Garvin does and Meltzer would continue. This won't be the Eric Embry show any longer as he's no longer the booker with the booking now being done by a committee of Jerry Jarrett, Bill Dundee and Gary young word I got was that Embry volunteered to be removed because he had apparently run out of ideas. So tell me about, uh, how Mr. Embry relinquishes the book. Do you recall? So. The thing that, look, this is good newsletter writing and all that, but for years, Lawler and Jarrett, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Lawler would sort of have a, a, a handshake agreement that we're going to rotate the book every six months. That wasn't a dead set, like J July 1st. It, it's 
Because at about that time, if you're blowing and going every week and going to weekly towns and trying to get it up and you know all that day-to-day creative process, there comes a burnout period. Yeah. And the worst thing to do is is to actually get burnout. It's a lot better to, hey, man, uh, let's put a new fresh blood in there. And that's really what it was, that Eric had built that angle and the WCCW and USW angle and really orchestrated that and worked his ass off and just, you know, poured it all into, he needed a break. And he might not have thought that at the time, but my dad had the wisdom and the experience to say, Hey man, let's go in a different direction. Let's, let's, uh, let we, we've, he, he told that story. Let's, uh, pump the brakes and let's put some new blood creatively in this. And I just think there's a huge upside to that. Um, you know, you look back over the history of, uh, it with Vince, you know, Vince, uh, you know, he's always the buck stops with him, but just new blood in the writing room and all, it, there's just so much upside to all that. And I think Tony Khan will, will come to that as well. You, you just, you gotta have that new blood and, and, and new fresh thoughts and all that. So that was, that was the, the reality of the situation is that Eric's booking run was not over but that needed new blood. And so Eric, take a break. Today's episode is brought to you by Comatier. Comatier is the first coffee you melt to make. It's delicious. It's quality coffee. That's ready in seconds. Comatier's freshly brewed coffee arrives flash frozen inside the world's first 100% curbside recyclable capsule. It's super simple to melt your way to hot or iced coffees, lattes, and so much more. There's no machines or expensive equipment needed. It's incredibly simple, fuss-free and mess-free coffee. This has been a home run in my house. If your wife loves coffee as much as mine, buddy, this is a pro tip. Cometeer's brewing process captures over 2000 flavor compounds that exist in a single coffee bean. Cometeer offers a wide variety of light, medium, and dark single origin and blended coffee roasts from the very best specialty roasters. The brewed coffee is then immediately flash frozen at minus 321 degrees Fahrenheit, all inside of a recyclable capsule to lock in the freshness and the flavor. Cometeer has discovered the best way to brew, preserve, and deliver delicious coffee to your home. Now you melt to make this. All you need to do is add water to enjoy it, hot or cold. With Cometeer, you can have a high-quality, balanced cup of coffee and the time it takes to boil water or fill a glass with ice, all for a fraction of the price of cafe coffee. Cometeer is delicious black or however you normally enjoy your coffee. And unlike those other pods... Cometeer capsules are 100% curbside recyclable. And I got to tell you, I wasn't too sure about this. It felt a little out there. And then my wife took a sip and said, duty, this is it. That's right, boys and girls. We are now cometeered all around the Conradison. It's our absolute favorite go-to coffee. And here's the deal, man. You might even say we were once upon a time coffee snobs. Now coffee's more her thing, but buddy, I've bought so many gizmos and gadgets and it doesn't get any easier than this. And the flavor is out of this world. Cometeer brings you the best coffee on the planet. It's incredible. And don't just take my word for it. Experience it for yourself and try the coffee you melt to make brewed exclusively in partnership with award-winning roasters. And we've got a special deal for you right now. Save $20 off your first order when you sign up at cometeer.com slash myworld. That's C-O-M-E-T-E-E-R.com slash myworld. And we thank Cometeer for sponsoring the podcast. So lots of new things going on with Bill Dundee as the booker. At least that's what the observer says here, recapping uh, all that happened the week of November 13th. 
Kevin Von Erich returned as well and appears to be motivated for the first time in years. Von Erich looked really good in a television match. And when was the last time he looked really good in a match? He wasn't dazed or lost and spoke clearly in an interview. Kevin said that people always ask where he is since he never wrestles anymore. Usually whenever Kevin drifts back for a week or two before no showing begins, he drifts away just as quickly. And then he returns to TV and they say he's been fighting for Christianity in foreign countries. When in fact, he's usually just home asleep. Kevin admitted on this interview that he's been doing nothing for all this time and said he hasn't been motivated for years. Ever since he found out one day in Texas stadium, that Kerry was more popular and he'd always be the star. Kevin then said he's motivated and would face anyone, even Kerry or Eric Embry to gain titles or whatever. This is an about face. Well, do you remember this moment? Because this feels like a big deal. Well, we certainly hoped, you know, when the territory's down, you, you, uh, Hey, it's look, Austin Idol. I've told that story a bunch that, you know, my dad, I, Austin Idol will never work for me again. House is down. Hey, Austin, can you be in Memphis next Monday? It just happens as a promoter. So the powers that be namely my father and, and, uh, his, uh, inner circle, so to speak. All right, Kevin, let's let's kickstart something you've never worked, you know, as a heel. And we're not saying you're going to go be a full fledged heel, but you're going to be a baby face with an attitude and edge, maybe a tweener. But, uh, that was sort of the seed that, that, uh, you know, Kevin's been holding that in, but that day in Texas stadium, he saw that little brother was the big star and it's a very, very sibling rivalry. Emotionally, we all can relate to it might not have happened in our lives, but we've certainly witnessed it growing up and all that. Just again, engaging emotion, Kevin, let's give it a shot. Crossing our fingers that he would stick around, um, has another conversation that took place Sunday night, Conrad, the what ifs of WCCW. That whole card on November 10th at the sportatorium where Jerry Lawler is wrestling Kerry Von Eric in the main event, 300 fans. Wow. But, but there is lots of fear locally over the incident last week where Tony Adams was spanked. She had her dress pulled up. She's not wearing underwear. And, uh, Dave would say here, not sure if the fear was because of what she wasn't wearing or just because of the angle. But as the November 10th attendance shows, it didn't sell any tickets, man. W- w- we beat her up. We tore her blouse and we had to edit all that out. Now we're spanking her bottom with no underwear on my goodness. Uh, we're doing whatever it takes to get some eyeballs on this shit. Are we not? And now who were the heels trying to think, trying to think, because again, it was going up to the line. It was, it was skinned our Akbar's outfit originally. I don't know Akbar, how it evolved. It. Here. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it's Akbar's crew, but yes, again, trying to get heat didn't work, but that was the mentality. Now, something that I never expected to discuss here. This is from the week of November 27th. The annual Thanksgiving spectacular drew a disappointing crowd of 600 to the Dallas Sportatorium, including Jeff Jarrett beating Phil Hickerson in a barbed wire match that got him 10 times with a leather belt as a result of winning. And then Gary Young goes to a double count out with Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes here was a blind spot for me. I was not expecting to see that he was ever a part of world-class. Oh yeah. I uh, l- learned something new today, but then a barbed wire match and Jeff Jarrett. What? <laughs> I remember when Dustin came in, it was pretty cool because obviously Dusty's kid and he had same mannerisms. He drove a little red pickup truck. Um, 
anyway, you know, we're both promoters, kids or booker kids and all that. So, um, yeah, that's the first time I'd met a, a young Dustin. Uh, he could work his ass off then. Uh, but, um, Conrad, and this is something that th- th- all these research notes and there's so much that goes into it, but at some point, maybe we do a watch along to the angle to set up this bob wire and the straps and everything like that. So Conrad, one Saturday morning we, to shoot this angle, to heat up me and Hickerson, we did this, uh, angle where Phil whipped me with a belt, uh, a la like I got Effie in Hammerstein but it was a much thicker belt and the, the store, the, the, the execution of the angle was Phil. I want you to keep, this is my dad talking, Phil, you keep whipping him. I'll send the baby faces. Don't stop until I send baby faces. Don't, don't leave the room, all this. And so we're thinking, Oh boy. And so before we went out to do this, I said, Phil, I just got a funny feeling. He's going to let this go a while. My dad came to Phil. Phil, I'm telling you, do not stop whipping. Oh, God, Conrad. We got in the ring. Phil leaned down to me after about strap 20 or 30, and we can go back and watch this. He said, little man is making the call, Jeff. I said, Phil, just keep bringing it. This is what he wants. That might have, that's a top five belt whipping across the back. I had so many straps, but that was the angle to set this up. So it may be a good, uh, a good watch along, but, um, there's something about using a belt at ringside because it ain't fake. No. People and the, and the fans can hear it and they know it. Yes. And you can, you can relate to it as a little kid, or if you're a parent whipping your own kid or whatever it may be. And just the whole dynamic of it all. But, um, again, get, do, doing different angles and storylines to, 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 to build heat where the audience wants to see the heel get their ass whipped, the simple psychology, the fundamentals still exist today. Well, and the fundamentals back then were you, uh, you told a good story and you didn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Here's exhibit a <laughs> Gary Von Eric goes on a Dallas radio station and they're asking, Hey, why's Frank Dusick gone? And he says, quote, he got beat up in the locker room and then went away, which is just <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, but because of all of the Tony Adams angles, there's some backlash as a result, the USWA loses its TV slot on channel 21. They still have, uh, the key local two hour show on channel 11, which is one of still one of the higher rated wrestling shows in the country, at least on a local basis. And then killer Tim Brooks. What do you know? He lost channel 39 because production costs were too high, but he's drawn 700 fans here on November 21st. So. They were on TV and now they're off TV, but we're still working at it. Um, channel 21 eventually put the syndicated show back on the air, but they took it down for at least three weeks, I guess, to just talk to you guys about this whole Tony Adams stuff, but we're really struggling to, to, to fill the houses, fill the seats. The USWA tag team title tournament happens on December 1st. There's 500 fans there, but that's because kids cost two bucks. Uh, and here's what it winds up with Robert Fuller and Brian Lee beating mm. Jeff Jira and Matt Bourne. I didn't realize that you teamed with Matt Bourne, but here we are. I also want to mention Fuller and Lee are going to beat Carrie Von Eric and Bill Dundee because Kevin no shows. So right after we had that whole, I've been at home and I haven't been motivated, but I'm here to do what it takes. And I'll even fight my brother. Nope. No show Jones. Once again, 
Uh, second verse, same as the first, is there, is there a less reliable wrestler in the history of wrestling than Kevin Von Erich? I know modern fans say, oh, Sid, it must've been baseball season, softball season. Hell, we didn't know why Kevin wasn't here. Just knew he wasn't here. Yeah. I, I, he's definitely in my experience. And I'm look, I'm sure you can go 15 different ways at one time, buddy Landell had, had some serious demons and, and just had no regard to making towns or not. Oh, I ain't going, I, I, you know, I've never understood that mentality, but Kevin, in my experience, it was kind of unbelievable. Uh, now, uh, this side of sobriety, it's clearly, uh, you know, uh, much more understandable, but man, no show after no show after no show. Uh, but as you were given the houses and, and all that, I, I kind of want to point out like a lesson learned that, um, in a rebranding process and you have WCCW, um, uh, versus USWA, and there's a lot of fever pitch and who's going to go and which direction they're going to go at the end of the day, once Eric Embry and the fans, that all had written in and he got emotionally invested in it and said, all right, USWA, that's our brand. Now that is such a very, very, very small number in comparison to as bad as the WCCW brand had been damaged. People still knew the brand and knew, you know, the casual fan. Oh yeah. That's that Von Eric wrestling. Well, that all went away. So when you hear wrestling as a sport of Dorium and it's USWA, you know, Many, many more fans didn't have a clue. What is that? Wait, Jerry Lawler in Dallas? Wait, Jeff Jarrett? Oh, Matt Bourne and Eric Embry? Wait, do the Vonics there? You know, it's just the rebranding process is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Here's the quote of the week by Kerry. The USWA accidentally booked Kevin in two places last night. Since the Houston date was signed first, Kevin had to go to that one. Because if a Von Eric signs a contract to be somewhere, he's there. Bye, God. You know what? I, there's nothing. And this more is definitely I, my foot in this boot. I don't know why people keep saying it's not. That's definitely my foot. Now, how would Foghorn Leghorn respond to Kerry <laughs> Von Eric's quote? How would he respond to that quote? Because once a Von Eric says he's going to a town, he goes to a town. Just like you accuse me. Hey, it ain't my internet, Conrad. I got more feedback off. <laughs> People love that foghorn leghorn stuff. We'll have to do more. Hell, of I love it. That's why I'm trying to get jazz you up. What would foghorn say to Kerry Von Eric's quote that he never, ever missed a booking? If a Von Eric says he's going to be there, by God, he's there. My, right? My thought, listen, foghorn thinks a lot of negative thoughts here that would just be mean spirited. <laughs> I probably need to do it for something where I'm mean to you and not someone who's no longer with us. See, that's why that, that, that's why you're the podfather, pal, because you ch tore me up because <laughs> that's another thing about the VIP line. I got a couple of comments of that, that, uh, Andersonville Wi-Fi is on the move. <laughs> so the color commentator, Terrence Garvin is trying to get Carrie to say that he and Kevin aren't getting along. Of course, Carrie's not really doing that. And then Eric Embry pulls down his strap like Jerry Lawler. Garvin has the best line on color here. I don't know why he does that. It makes him look pregnant. Garvin is also in the middle of an angle here where it's uh, explained. This is word for word from the observer. He does a hardcore gay act and does the commentary at ringside wearing a dress. And he has a crush on Jeff Jarrett, which is awfully sweet. <laughs> 
Conrad, just let me pump the brakes. I just want for, for newer fans or non WCCW USW fans, this Terrence Garvin, Terry Garvin is not the, the gentleman that was a part of the WWE Ronnie yeah. Garvin yeah. and Jimmy Garvin and of fame and Terry Garvin of WWF way back in the day. This is a, 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 a team called beauty and the beast. Uh, and Terry Terrence Garvin was one half of beauty and the beast. The, the beauty was Terry and the beast was a percussionist who was a part. He, he actually, you know, that deal that me and Dutch did that's yeah. in the, of the Institute, he was the percussionist in that act. So th- they're, they're guys from Tennessee that went out to Texas and were doing the Garvin gimmick. And I love how Mr. Meltzer just eloquently they're doing the bless their heart, bless their heart. So kids are in free on uh, December 8th and the sportatorium crowd is still dismal, uh, a few hundred. And Meltzer would say for the smaller groups, the prognosis for 1990 is more of the same. When in reality, that means less of the same. The decline of regional wrestling promotions has steadily occurred since 83. And right now, two or three groups appear to be on life support systems. And the final plug may be pulled before the weather warms up. The USWA will simply survive because the costs of operation are low and they make money through television syndication and advertising, whether the CWA, which many markets has Jerry Jarrett pulling in favor of the USWA survives is more questionable. And we'll talk about that, but I do want to mention that. Go ahead. I I was going to say is the houses were terrible now in Memphis, Louisville, and Evansville and Nashville. They were just as bad. Live event business was down. This is pre-television USA network rights and obviously pre-nitro and all that. But this was, man, I probably uh, get chastised. I don't want to say it's gold air, but I tell you what, syndication money wasn't good. It was great because I got some of those checks. And those were my first big checks. My first big check, you know, you hear guys that will come in the business, you know, my first big pay-per-view payoff, you just kind of like stare at it and go, holy crap that I made that for one night when I also wrestled for 40 bucks, but I, my monthly syndication checks, and I was getting a a fraction of a fraction, Kevin and Carrie and my father and Max Andrews were making serious money on syndicated wrestling, but the live event business was a disaster. That was the evolution of this industry. So let's, uh, you, you, you highlighted in our notes here, an independent show on December 1st, it's the Sam Houston Coliseum and Kevin Von Erich is on that show. Okay. So think about this. So it comes out that he's a paycheck. He's supposed to be part owner here. He is. Yes. Of this promotion. And he's advertised as a part of this tag tournament for a company he partially owns with his brother, his brother's there. Kevin Von Eric was in Houston doing another show instead, <laughs> not his own show. No. So what that tells me hey, is Fritz's Fritz's message to my dad. Yes. Don't do it. Don't do it, Jerry. Well, but also too, I'm sure. And listen, I'm not trying to pile on. I'm trying to add a little logic here. We've also heard that Kevin Von Erich was in dire financial straits. He was losing his home to foreclosure and what have you pretty good chance. He had a guarantee that paid him more in Houston than he knew it would be more than whatever your dad was going to give him here. I understand. I understand 
So, so while, while it is easy to dunk on Kevin and we're going to do some of that at the end of the day, it comes down to, I got to take care of my family. And I know if, even if I do own part of this, I'm not going to make very much money. And there's a guarantee over here that maybe could, you know, keep me on life support a little bit longer financially. I get that. Right. So right. anyway, the observer the next week, we're mid December 89 says another promotion in some jeopardy is the CWA. Jerry Jarrett continues to be mainly concerned about the USWA. The gate this past Monday in Memphis was $3,000. It's one of the lowest ever. The CWA show this week contained a lot of clips and the Memphis card this week with Jerry Lawler versus Dustin Rhodes on top is practically designed not to draw any fans. When Jarrett met with David Woods about acquiring rights to the dozen or so TV markets that Woods now defunct continental wrestling federation has Jarrett told Woods he was going to operate everything out of Dallas and would run a big loop of shows in Tennessee and Alabama with a Dallas based crew. That doesn't bode well for the CWA. I've been concerned about the CWA ever since Jeff Jarrett went full-time to Dallas, because it's obvious when Jeff quit working CWA shows where his father's priorities were. Is that fair to say? See, and that's, that, it's, I mean, Dave, so I never quit work in Memphis, Louisville and Evansville. Now the spot shows Thursdays and Fridays, we basically rolled up sidewalks and didn't know if that was a permanent or just a part-time deal. So I, I work more than, and when I think about guys and I talk to them now, the opportunity I had Conrad, I work Memphis, Louisville, Evansville, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday would fly out and work spot show Thursday in Dallas or in the Dallas Metroplex area, work Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday at the Sportatorium, Saturday night, just the amount of work I was getting seven days a week on and on and on. So I never quit working full time, but from a business vision and strategy, my father wasn't real sure. Uh, and man, he would be the one to get granular on this. It was, how are we going to not just survive? How are we going to thrive? Because we have this again, let me do a reset here, Conrad. You'll help me out with this. Memphis TV, we had to produce a show every Saturday morning from that studio. You couldn't put Dallas tapes in there because Memphis was paying us in the 80s. They were paying us money because of the ratings we were getting. So we had to produce a show in Memphis. And so how are we going to make the Memphis show work and run the Coliseum, which we opted out of the Coliseum, went to another building, and how are we going to make Louisville and Evansville and Nashville continue to work, but also the syndication money's out in Dallas, and we got to put asses in seats to make that show look good. It was a real transition period. We didn't have anywhere close to all the right answers, but that was sort of the crux of it. But Meltzer's saying, look, the the whole sort of byline is that is is that we quit running spot shows for the most part, and that was a big part of the revenue of the territory. I, uh, Hope that makes sense. It does. And I'm fascinated by what's happening here in Memphis. Uh, Matt watch would say the CWA show at mid South Coliseum on December 11th did $3,500 worth of business for Jerry Lawler versus Ricky Morton believed to be the lowest in Memphis history. Jarrett has already openly stated he's ready to shut the, shut the city down, but Lawler is trying vainly to hold it together. I can't help, but believe the end is near. But buddy, as much focus as we're putting on the USWA December 15th at the Sportatorium, we got 130 paying fans, hmm. 130 paying fans. 
want to put that in context. I understand that we've got syndicated TV and that's paying us pretty well, but this is a building that holds thousands. We got 130 paying fans. We don't have a match, but we do have a big match. It's Jerry Lawler versus Kerry Von Erich in a USWA title versus Texas title. So it's champion versus champion with two mega wrestling stars in Dallas, a top 10 market, no matter how you do your numbers. Oh gosh. That, top ha- five. that has a huge history of wrestling. Great and, ratings. And we get 130 folks to show up. So Conrad off the top of your head. So this is December of 89, December 15th, 1989. So, because you have the other podcast that has come top to your head off the top of your head, give me five major wrestling shows that took place in 88 and 89. So we did clash of the champions, Flair sting. We did obviously the WrestleManias, the summer slams. I mean, just that's the real competition. We were, we were perceived not triple a baseball, not double a, not single it's rookie ball. That kind of sucks. If you really want to know, oh yeah. You know what? Those two legends, Lawler and Von Eric, but we've, uh, it, I mean, that's, that's the reality. It, the big time Hulkamania yeah. and sting and flair and the ultimate warrior. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's the context. So, but here's the thing. I get everything you just said, but (laughs) it's much fucking excuses. Three days prior to this killer Brooks sells out the longhorn bar, 1600 fans. Now I understand it is the presentation and I get where you're going to say here. Well, it's a bar and it's a honky tonk and it's different, but damnation. Why are we so beholden to the sportatorium? If people don't like the look, the feel have bad memories, maybe it's a trigger for them before people were saying that word. I don't know, (laughs) but 1600 folks, three days prior to this, and it's done so well that he's moving his shows to the larger Bronco bowl in Dallas. And a lot of folks think that's a mistake because the bar atmosphere is part of the reason that it draws so well. And by the way, he drew 1600 folks. He doesn't have TV. He had it for a few hiccups. Production costs were too much. He said, screw it. We'll just do the live event with no TV, 1600 folks there. You have to be impressed with what he did for sure. Look at modern day GCW. Yeah. I mean, you know, the product hot familiar, uh, built their uh, audience and, you know, John Tatum, I can remember John Tatum like, and he was a a big WCCW star. I'm trying to think of the other guys, but killer Tim Brooks had been a heel. They had good talent. That was very, that they were all well-known. Here's the, the other reason part. that, that, and I'm just reminding you, cause I'm sure you'll remember it. That December 15th show that only drew 130 fans. It was freaking cold. It's 25 oh, degrees outside, uh, two degrees when you factor in the windshield. So it feels like it's two outside y'all. And it felt like it's two inside too. They're not turning the heaters on in the sportatorium. So it, the, the, the guys are wrestling and you can see their breath it's freezing versus oh, let's go down to the bar, have some drinks, watch these guys tear it up. Totally different deal as a result of, uh, the abysmal houses in Memphis. Matt watches learn through anonymous sources that championship wrestling association will end its weekly appearances at the mid South Coliseum in January. 
speculated for months. The decision has reportedly been made by CWA owner, Jerry Jarrett before the December 11th show only drew 3,500, a record low for Memphis. Jarrett is going to fold Memphis, Nashville, and Louisville and major CWA towns will have monthly tours for his USWA Dallas based promotion. Still unclear is the future of the CWA TV show on WMC TV in Memphis and their eight syndicated markets. One source has told Matt watch that the WMC contract calls for a show to be specifically produced for the NBC affiliate, whether a USWA show would be accepted by WMC is uncertain, but key insiders have told personnel of at least two CWA TV outlets that the syndicated show will be gone by January. When you first hear that the rumblings of that, is this like one of those shocked, can't believe it moments? What's your take? You're talking away? about the, the CWA, all of that going away. Just the Monday show. I mean, it, it's been a staple no, in, in Memphis forever. We were never going away, away. It was the mid South Coliseum, the economics, again, a whole transition that those folks, uh, you know, city owned building. And we have to have this much for rent, this much for ticket takers and this much for security and all the business model. And, and until we literally had another option and executed on that, they were never going to change their rent ever. And so the prestige of wrestling in mid South Coliseum, not just Lawler, but others was, Oh, we can't move buildings. We can't do this. We can't do that. And Conrad, I'm sure you've been in business situations where you just look, I'm the delusional optimist, but you just hang on to a situation way too long. And from, you know, my dad often said in, in, in many times, not just mid Coliseum, but I should have made the move a year before or six months before or two years before. But when we finally lined up the Pipkin building, a fair building, basically on the grounds and made the decision, we're out of the mid South Coliseum. Then the folks at the Coliseum, and I don't get too far of it, but they're like, oh, wait, they, they really left. You mean we don't have anything here on Monday nights? Oh, let's go back to the table and no, negotiate. So leaving that building and the history and the, the lineage of it, it sucked. But I also knew just by listening to my father, the other side wasn't an option. Going out of business. I mean, literally, why am I going to spend money? just to be in that building. That's what it came down to where if we went to another building, uh, we'd be not highly profitable, but at least break even because the TV was getting, you know, we were making money. It sucked though. Tough, tough time in the business. By the way, as a reminder, uh, we're talking about Memphis as if it's past tense and it's on its ass and certainly it's down. But as of November of 1989, the WMC show was still doing a 10 rating and a 31 share. (laughs) <laughs> which means it's the highest rated wrestling show in a specific market in the U S let me just remind you what we're talking about here. If there are a hundred people watching TV in the Memphis market, 31 of them are watching this show and the, you know, the other 69 are watching something else, but damn near a third of everyone watching TV is still watching the show. Now that feels like a failure in Memphis. Now I know what you're thinking. How in the world is that anything other than a smashing success? Well, a few years prior to this from 84 and 85, they weren't getting a 10 rating. They were getting a 23 rating. (laughs) They were getting a 70 share. So now you're talking about seven out of 10 homes that are watching TV are watching that show. 
So when people in, in Memphis are still Jerry Lawler crazed, uh, I get it. They all grew up watching Jerry Lawler. Kind of amazing, huh? Yeah. When you, when you think about the, 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 uh, you know, not just the city of Memphis, but the, the 1960 union Avenue union Avenue, but that, that show that emanated from that address, WMC studios was seen in Western Tennessee, Arkansas, Northern Mississippi, just that whole area. But I mean, that's a massive number and creatures of habit. Yes, but they still watched the conversion rate is what was a disaster. And the conversion rate in those days was, Hey, I'm going to watch the pay-per-view this month, or I'm going to watch this, or maybe WWF will come to town. We just weren't converting. We were getting a hell of a TV number and the spots to buy commercial time on our show were astronomical and hell that's about a hundred thousand fans or so, you know, in the Memphis market, watching that just the Memphis market. A hundred thousand fans. That's it's crazy. It's crazy. Also crazy. Eric Embry, who this Dallas promotion had been built around for the entire year is done. He's going to quit the promotion. His last night is that freezing show in Dallas, uh, December 15th. You know, not only was he a mainstay on camera, but behind the scenes, he was the booker. And now that's enough wrestling in this 25 degree weather in front of 130 fans. I'm out. And apparently ESPN is doing an about face. They had been saying they were not going to pursue wrestling anymore. They're just going to do baseball. And, uh, they weren't happy with the AWA. And then they did an about face and re-signed the AWA. Now that is not what your dad was hoping for. Apparently your dad had been angling for an ESPN deal, but ESPN felt like quote, Jerry Jarrett wasn't dealing in good faith with them. And AWA is eventually going to get the afternoon slot and the USWA tapes will be off in the near future. And it looks like we're a week or two away from an explosive situation in Dallas. Meltzer says they were scheduled to do a TV taping on December 30th at the sportatorium and the wrestlers and fans were there, but the announcers and the announcers were there, but there were no cameras there and it was not taped. They're scheduled to run on January 5th in Dallas with Lawler defending the Texas title against Kerry. And if Kerry doesn't win the title, he's retiring. They did an interview with Kevin and Kerry. That was really strange. Kerry said, if he didn't win, it would finally be the end of the Von Eriks as he's retiring. And Kevin said it wouldn't be because Kerry wins or not. He's not retiring. And all the Dallas based wrestlers are confused about, Hey, what's going on? Embry's out. There's no cameras here. And apparently Adams and the Von Eriks don't want to go on the road and tour for no money. And Meltzer would say, which is what Jerry Jarrett wants his wrestlers to do. So now it's questionable how long they're going to stay. Adams is also mainly a, a spot show promoter, and he won't be able to do that with the guys constantly out of the area touring. And there's talk that there could be as many as four different promotions fighting over Dallas by the end of the month. The USWA wasn't drawing with the Von Eriks, Embry and Adams, but they had been pushed as the top guys all along. And now that Embry is suddenly gone and Adams may be. And the Von Erichs being questionable over the long haul. Woo. Big question mark here. This has to be maybe the least fun and most stressful time your dad ever had in wrestling this era. Would that be fair to say? I, I definitely, he loved it, but he hated it because it was a, you know, again, that transition period. But if you can get a, you know, a, a syndicated list of 50 to hundred markets, you can make a lot of money, but you still got to produce the content. As far as Eric, 
it was going into Christmas. He, he needed a break. We were essentially going to shut down for a couple of weeks. He went home. There, there wasn't any big falling out. And I quit FU back and forth. None of that. He, it was Christmas and his home was Cloverport, Kentucky. He, he was going back home, unplugging, whatever it may be. That December 30th, Conrad, that sort of deal, that was a best of uh, situation that uh, you can relate to that. So we've got to create content. We're not going to pay to have cameras and edit it and save money there and, and recircle the wagons and do what we got to do. So um, it was a, I, I think it was a, 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 let's create a best of year end special. We did that at TNA with Spike a couple of times on how production dates would fall end of year specials and all that kind of stuff. But uh, regardless of all that, Conrad, it was so tough because, you know, at the end of the day, butts in seats, as our friend, Mr. Shivani says, you know, there was no butts, none or very few. The Memphis situation was tough. We were going through the similar situation up in Louisville with that building deal. Um, times were really tough. Uh, next up, we've got the, uh, discussion of the CWA and the USWA. This is in the observer with both groups having been owned by Jerry Jarrett. It seemed inevitable. It would turn into one office. And unlike what we reported last week, it appears the USWA will split time between Texas and Tennessee each week. The group will run live shows weekly on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in Memphis, Louisville, and Evansville, respectively. Then head to Texas for the rest of the week, running weekly house shows on Friday in Dallas and doing TV tapings Saturday morning in Dallas. Jarrett originally wanted to have all the TV based out of Dallas, but contracts with WMC TV and long-term advertising commitments made them agree to continue the live Saturday morning show for Memphis through the end of 1990. The WMC show will continue to be edited down to one hour and will air in six other markets, mainly near Memphis. The Dallas show will take the place of the Memphis show in several markets in Tennessee and Kentucky. Jarrett feels like he can divide time between the two regions economically each week because Southwest airlines flies from Dallas to Memphis for $38. One way the touring roster consists of dirty white boy, Chris champion, soul taker, who we know Dutch Mantel, Gary young, Dustin Rhodes, Billy Joe, Travis, Bill Dundee, Jeff Jarrett, Matt Bourne, uh, Phil Hickerson, uh, Robert Fuller and Brian Lee. In addition, Kevin and Kerry Von Eric, Chris Adams, and Jerry Lawler will all work part-time for the group since none of the four want to do the daily schedule. So the USWA is going to start offering USWA live, which is a live pickup of the Sportatorium Saturday morning matches. It's a 52 week deal. That's going to start in April. It'll air Saturdays at 10 AM Eastern and the stations will have an option of a taped edition. And Meltzer says, if that idea pans out, that almost certainly spells the end of the Memphis show unless the group simply couldn't get WMC to agree to the switch at that point, WMC show would wind up being mainly a throwaway show as all the big stars will be doing a TV taping out of Dallas. And as it stands right now, that is pretty much what is going to happen since the key syndicated taping on Saturday will be the Dallas one. They're even talking about doing a pay-per-view event on June 4th with Carrie and Lawler on top. And, uh, the next week. Matt Washwood report. The latest is that WMC TV is going to force Jerry Jarrett to maintain a local show, but it's only going to be in those seven Tennessee markets. And Andrew syndication says that CWA is effectively going to be downgraded to what's called a class D program, which means strictly minor league stars training for a berth in the USWA. 
and viewers of the CWA show were told by the host at the time, Michael St. John, friend of the show, that the promotion had merged with the USWA. So there's a lot of conflicting who's on first, which way are we going? Listen, it's great to be the pretty girl at the dance and have all these television opportunities, but with a split focus like this, this has to have your dad pulling his freaking hair out. Trying to survive, trying to thrive, trying to make money, but it goes, you know, you recapped it in so many ways. Um, you know, how do we produce content and make money off the syndication, but also you got to run towns. You, you got to have, you know, you, you, you look at the current WWE and how they're, you know, they're back running and that's how you refine stories. And it's, it's a, it's really a grassroots marketing. It, it's, it's just kind of the, the, the nature of this beast, but man times were tough to, to do this on the smallest of scales. And, um, coming up, not too far from this, uh, date that we're talking about will be the Evansville situation. Hey, Steve, you, no, I'm kidding, but no, the, I mean, it was payoff sucked. It, it was, you know, they, uh, you see online morale, well, morale, you know, it's it, when you ain't making no money and you're riding up down these towns, you, you can, you can have a good time or try to all you want, but at the end of the day make it, you know, bottom line focused is what it's all about. Uh, it was tough. He was really, really tough. Well, it's tough for the Von Erics too. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately rather Kerry Von Eric didn't have to retire. Wouldn't you know it? He won the Texas title from Jerry Lawler in Dallas on January 5th. Uh, and for this retirement tease, you're probably thinking, man, they were sold out hanging from the rafters because nobody wants to see a Von Eric retire. Not in Dallas, 250 folks showed up. So the torch says one of the ideas being kicked around to try to heat this area up something they hadn't seen before Kerry Von Eric versus Kevin Von Eric. And then the observer reports something on January 15th that just blew me away. If the June pay-per-view ever comes off, it would be a surprise if it did, but it will be a combination wrestling and tractor pull pay-per-view your dad, as if he didn't have enough going on is looking for something called tough tracks, a monster truck racing and tractor pull program. And, uh, I guess Max Andrews helped land it and, 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 and pitched your dad. And now your dad's thinking about, Hey, if I can promote wrestling, maybe I can promote tractor pulls. What in the world? Conrad, I love seeing those checks because that gosh, and I always get the names wrong, but anyway, the monster truck industry to this day is a, a big industry of touring, but creating a TV show in the late eighties, like roller derby and wrestling and monster trucks, you could create it because they already had the live event and all you had to do is shoot it and post produce it and via it over via, via voice it over in a studio. So very like wrestling, very inexpensive to produce because the talent was getting paid off the house and all that kind of stuff with it. And so just like the wrestling programming, my dad and Max created this monster truck syndication programming that did great numbers and they made money off syndication. Um, but, uh, the joint pay-per-view, I don't think that was ever really like really, really seriously, uh, considered maybe, maybe it was in, in certain conversations, but 
I don't think there was ever anything on the books, but it was again, rock and wrestling monster trucks and wrestling. We're not done with crazy ideas. We've got another one. We're going to pitch you in a minute, but first I want to mention that, uh, cable is changing here. Oh boy. January 22nd, 1990. Uh, this is written in Matt watch USWA and NWA worldwide have been the hardest hit by the new syndex rules, forcing cable programming blackouts of programming on out of market superstations that an in market station has the rights to. In many areas, cable operators have avoided the problem of blackouts by dropping some superstations altogether. KTVT in Dallas, which airs the USWA Saturday night show has dropped in 350,000 homes. So they lost 45% of their total viewers. By the way, WPIX in New York, which still had 1.1 million subscribers lost 300,000 homes. And this all happened right at the beginning of 1990. So think about that. We're making a bunch of money on our syndicated TV. So listen, we don't like having just a few hundred fans in the crowd, but we're making our money on TV. Look at all this. Uh, bandwidth we have, look at how many markets we're in. Look at, uh, Mr. Advertiser. We can put you on in front of this many homes on this many stations in front of that many people. And then overnight, never mind. It's about half of that. Holy cow. Yeah. That, that, it, it's, it's funny how, um, history. So this is a transition from broadcast to, you know, the U and V stations, the, to, to cable. And now fast forward 20 years, Conrad, and you can just literally, we're watching it go from cable of 30 stations to 300 to 900. And now all of a sudden, Oh, streaming. Yep. We want content. Yep. We want content. Yeah. I mean, it's the evolution of, of distribution. Uh, but man, you talk about <laughs> a ball shot. It was channel 11. You're you, what? You're not in these. Nope. You're not up in here in this market and you're not in this. It was big. It was real big. So the USWA didn't run, run a regular card in Memphis last Monday, but they did run matches on January 20th and January 21st at the mid South Coliseum in conjunction with the monster truck pool. There you go. So we're trying some things and Lord, we need to try some things in Dallas. We had Jeff Jarrett teaming with Kerry Von Eric to take on Jerry Lawler and Billy Joe Travis as our main event. 128 fans are there to see it. Terrible. And, uh, by the middle of, um, all are just didn't draw, you know, it's another proven fact. Uh, <laughs> February 26th. After missing a bunch of shows, once again, Kevin Von Eric returned on Saturday and claimed he'd been on a world tour. Mm. On the 5th of March, they were, Dave Meltzer would write born. This is unbelievable. This is March 5th, 1990. He's recapping what happened the week of February 26, 1990, by the way, they're, they're so desperate to get folks into this, the show here, the Saturday morning TV tapings, the Friday night paid crowd is only 175. So they say, Hey, we're going to do the TV taping on Saturday morning and it's free. Please come 2,500 fans are there. If we got to pay 175, will show up. If it's free 2,500. Now in the middle of this, Matt Bourne, who's a baby face does a TV interview and a bunch of girls are heckling him. He comes out for his interview with a cup of coffee. Oh, and as he's leaving, 
he dumps the coffee on the girls and Meltzer would write. I think charges were pressed by the girls. Do you remember this born dumping coffee on the girls? I love Matt. We were partners, but God rest his soul troubled. soul. but, uh, I mean, it was this, it go, it goes back to the rabbit ears and the baby faces just that, you know, it was uh hypersensitive. And I remember, I don't remember specifically the coffee, but I remember there was a mess up and Matt's in trouble and what actually happened. And we've got, you know, our security, which, you know, is going to protect our folks. But then you had policemen officers there, but, oh my gosh, it is a mess. But back to that 2,500 in there free. Yeah. Oh, Jerry, Jarrett and crew. Guess what we had on Saturday mornings. We had every concession stand open around. So it yeah. just, it's all survival rate, man. It's crazy. I, when I read that in research, I'm thinking a hundred and something paid. And then we get 2,500 in 12 hours later yeah. on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me mention that gave your dad an idea. Hey man, if we got 2,500 in here for free, what if we charge $2 for adults and a dollar for kids? So they tried that and they still had more than 1500 fans in the building, which is better than what they were doing before they did it the next week. Again, $2 for adults, a dollar for kids, less than 500 and 90. Yes. 1990. You could have taken your kids, you know, a husband and wife with two kids could have taken their family of four to wrestling for $6, less than 500 souls in the building. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, who's not there though. Fucking Kevin Von Eric, <laughs> no shows again. I can't believe this is real, but there's 700 fans w- when they're doing a Dallas card, uh, on the second it's valiant Kerry Von Eric and soul taker, uh, Garvin and, and Travis. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of folks and Jerry Lawler. It's going to go to a double count out, but then somewhere in here, Jeff Gaylord is going to pin Jimmy Jack funk. When Skandar Akbar interferes, funk wasn't supposed to be here. But he has to replace Kevin Von Eric because Kevin's a no show. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? We're still trying to do what we can to get some attention to our product, even if it means some risque stuff. Uh, Meltzer would write John Tatum in an interview said he was the one who brought Missy Hyatt and Baby Doll into wrestling and brought out Tessa as his new valet. While it's true about Missy Hyatt, I don't know what the connection with Baby Doll is. Anyway, this new valet was wearing a tight short skirt. And when she bent down in front of the camera, it was the biggest pop of the card and the station had to digitize the picture. So man, we're not a- afraid to embrace a little TNA here, whatever it takes. <laughs> and man, if, if I need to pull out the fucking monster trucks, I will damn right. And, or a knife or a two before with a nail or spill coffee, fascinating times. <laughs> The, uh, the plans for the USWA to do live matches on Saturday mornings are being postponed or scuttled. According to Matt watch, they say there's not enough clearances for a live broadcast that was supposed to happen on April 7th, but now it doesn't look like it could be financially successful. And the next week he would report, it appears everybody wants to be a wrestling promoter in Dallas. I've been there. I've been told there's many as nine groups now, including the USWA that are trying to book shows in the Metroplex. Gary Hart is planning shows in April. Johnny Valentine is organizing another group and a co-venture. And now Ivan Putsky wants to promote as well. This is fascinating to me, Jeff, when it's plain as day, 
Dallas is not, I mean, I, I guess maybe the success that Brooks had makes people think, well, maybe there's an idea, but when Jerry Jarrett, who knows a thing or two about pro wrestling and everybody in the industry knows that if he can't breathe new life into this, and the only way he can get fans to attend is if it's free, who in their right mind says, man, let me get some more of that. You copy the success. You don't copy. I mean, not being ugly, the failure. I'm not going to look and say, man, everybody's tried to make it in Dallas. Fritz couldn't do it. Jerry can't do it, but maybe I, Johnny Valentine can, maybe I, Gary Hart can, maybe I, Ivan Putsky can the arrogance in saying, I want to go do that feels a little too fan and not enough businessman. Am I wrong in saying that? Not at all, but it's, you know, again, and the, the luxury of walking down memory lane with 2020 and knowing how things went it, it, but it does sort of go to, to I, I tip my cat to, to Vince McMahon when he goes, you know what? These 22 other regional promoters, they're never going to see my vision. They're just not. They don't realize it's game, set, match. That They just don't. So I, I'm going to do my own thing because I'm going to trailblaze a path of success. But Valentine, Hart, Mantell, all of these guys – made a boatload of money in the territory days. And they, by default, think this guy's doing it wrong. I had success in Dallas. I'm going to show them how to do it. When in reality, the whole shooting match was over. I mean, completely over because of Hulkamania and because of Ted Turner's product and because cable television, all the above. You, it didn't matter what angle or story or TV clearance or venue or how warm it was or how cold it was or none of that mattered. Yeah. It, 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 it was the nail was driven. I mean, the nail was absolutely driven at this point. Let's, uh, let's talk about one of the more big time angles. Uh, it would actually be called one of the stranger angles of the year. Steve Austin came out. That's right. That's Steve Austin and said, he's found himself a valet who he said was the sexiest woman in the world. And he brought out Jeannie during Austin squash match. Chris Adams came out and he and Jeannie started yelling at each other until finally Jeannie slapped Adams who stormed off. Adams had an interview and went on a long tangent and begged the front office guy, John Brazil, uh, for a match with Austin on Friday night. But of course he says, Eric Embry is signed to wrestle Austin. Well, during the interview, Chris says that he's mad at Austin because Jeannie was his first wife, which by the way is real. I think Jeannie was also once married to Billy Jack Haynes. Dave would say anyway, you can smell the feud already between Tony Adams and Jeannie coming. Can't you? But Eric Embry came out and Adams begged him for the match with Austin and Embry told John the only way he would accept is if he gave him a shot at Lawler. Ronnie Gossett came out and said, there's no way he'd let Lawler wrestle Embry and told a few fat jokes about Embry and Terrence Garvin wound up out there as well. And in the heat of the argument, Embry told Garvin, he could beat him with one hand tied behind his back and Garvin seized on the statement and Embry had to accept since he'd already said it. I'm mentioning all of this because apparently it's written in the observer before I go on, I should mention that the hot Dallas action and angles of this past weekend were apparently all booked by Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> How about this? Is this your first time, uh, with the pencil, as they say, 
Oh, it's been so, you know, literally again, I got to be in the backseat of cars and with my father and whoever was driving or my dad in the back and say, Hey, here's a suggestion. Uh, or I wouldn't say it in those words. And most what of the time, if? I, yeah. Yeah. I would be told, shut up. That sucks. You're the young kid. Keep your mouth shut or whatever. Every now and then I'd have, Oh, well, maybe that might work. So a little bit of tidbits here and there. So I had suggested and been a part of angles. And then in Memphis, you know, 87, 88, I, I would give my two cents worth, but now we're out in Dallas and, you know, Eric had been gone and, and, you know, just all the transition, but you know, my father was like, all right, you want to give this a shot? And I'm like, well, so I don't want to say that I was running point. It, it, this certainly wasn't a TNA scenario, but I was the young guy that was going to put pen to paper. It was my job to write the show and get feet, get, get input and feedback and all that. But Chris Adams is the one who tabled the, 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 I mean, he, obviously it's his ex-wife and to put it in context, you know, we're, you, you, you eloquently stated 150 people, 200 people, 250, whatever, everybody in that arena knew who Gene was. Yeah. That's Chris's ex-wife. And everybody knew, obviously Chris had a new wife. So when this good looking blonde haired, uh, dude who, who had been a protege, uh, you know, the wrestling school and all that, when he walks out with Chris's ex-wife, it, it, it wasn't any great creative on my end, but, uh, it was fun. Cause Conrad, that was the first time that I had, it might've been like the first briefcase I ever bought because I had my legal pads and notes and all this, but yeah, writing creative for the first time, having the official responsibility of timing the show and segments and all that. Yes. It was a blast. It, it was really, I look back on those times with a lot of fun because I, I, I actually, I was responsible for it, or at least thought I was. <laughs> well, it's not a lot of fun for Mark Lawrence. He's going to quit the promotion effective this coming Friday night. No word on who his replacement will be. Mark had worked for the Dallas based promotion for 10 years, but had some problems with recent angles. That's from the May 7th, 1990 observer. What happened with Mark? Did he not like all the, the risque stuff? Look, we have thrown you a softball and you have, you just miffed it. I took over the book, ran him out of town. I killed Mark Lawrence. You did it to Eric Embry too. Cause he's gone. <laughs> no, I got to see Mark Saturday night. He actually interviewed me in the ring. So it was great to catch up with him. Um, but you know, Mark, uh, and I don't want to put it just, just on his faith because he, he left the business to get into pastoral work. I mean, that, that is the actual reality of it, but that angle with Tony Adams and Tessa, which was Tatum's valet and, you know, Jerry Jarrett been known to push the envelope a little bit here and there. And Eric Embry didn't mind lots of blood and guts and you know, Mark had had enough and I can't put my finger with, you know what? We ought to do an Eric Embry, a Mark Lawrence. We ought to do like a, a WCCW, uh, ad free deal to, to get all the different questions, but I'm for it. That'd be fun. It'd be educational, but Mark Lawrence had decided enough was enough. I'm changing professions with Mark gone. The new announcing team is Craig Johnson who uh, Meltzer describes as a mix between Hugo Savinovich and Vince McMahon. (laughs) 
Uh, and he has done some, some local college basketball in the past. Percy Pringle is going to join him doing color, but Eric Embry is gone again. Meltzer would write. He had a hard time fitting in as one of the boys after being a boss for so long. Jeff, you've done that. Can you identify with that? Is that hard? For sure. And at the end of the day, there wasn't any money, enough money to go around. Eric was like, Hey man, cause Eric had good runs in Puerto Rico. Um, he could always go back home and, and just sort of take it easy for a while, but he wasn't booking. So there wasn't any of the booking payday. Um, and, and, you know, we weren't running a lot of shows and I think he worked some Tennessee, but he was, you know, it was time for him. And I'm not sure if he went to Puerto Rico. I don't know, Conrad, what he did, but it was, again, I'll go back to that nail analogy as we've titled this show that it was over. The branding was in place and there was so much influx and, and payoffs with the crazy. It was just, it was a tough time. So Eric had had enough kind of like Mark Rance that, you know, I'm going to be an adult here and move on because my future is not here. There may be a future for the Jarrett's, maybe even for the Von Eriks, but there's not for Lawrence and Embry. So they're talking about making the Saturday morning tapings free again. You know, we, we were over 2000 folks for the free tapings. Now we're down to 150 to 250 because we're charging a buck for kids, $2 for adults. Can't believe this is real, but the observer says part of the reason may be there's a homeless shelter just a few blocks away from the sportatorium. And the people there who literally can't afford anything were using the tapings as free entertainment, which is why the crowds were so good for Saturday morning shows. Is that real? I mean, there was a homeless shelter. I, I didn't ever look the most a homeless shelter could hold, you know, 50. I mean, you know, so there were some folks, but they, they didn't have any money. How are they going to buy concessions? So it, it, the homeless shelter, I don't think predicated if we had 1500 or 250, it's, if you want to come see it, you'll be there that we, we did stuff that did not engage the audience and they didn't come out period, whether it's free or not. It's just a sentence you don't expect to see. Uh, yeah. but you know, Eric Bischoff has talked about the TV tapings at center stage were free because they just needed to look good on TV. And you would have, you know, guys with paper bags uh, across from the hard cam and he didn't like the look of that. And obviously it's not the presentation you want if you're trying to compete with Vince, but I figured your dad may have looked at this as, Hey man, maybe this is community housing for the guys, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. The final nail. Uh, (laughs) I like to say it's the final nail. The homeless shelter <laughs> is the final, <laughs> final nail. That's the hammer. It's not the nail. It's the hammer. <laughs> Lord knows. I'm not trying to make fun of the homeless shelter. I just think it's a little hilarious that nobody wants to see this shit. Watching. God, man, would you stop? I do a lot of work with the Salvation Army. Oh no, people. listen, I, I'm, a, I know, I'm messing with you. I know you're not. We're, we're just drawing the picture. That's why I said the final nail. So the homeless shelter was the hammer that just got a mighty. The downtown rescue mission here in Huntsville knows my name quite well, but still it's, it's remarkable that, uh, that's something I never heard something else. I never heard there were negotiations to bring Carrie Von Eric to start on the May 21st WCW television tapings, but the deal fell through. Think uh, about that. So that that's a, that's a cool little 
Easter egg in this. Yes. Harry was potentially going and following really a lot of his Michael Hayes. I mean, there, 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 there was a, if, if we would have had a betting man and there would have been Twitter back then, and you'd done a Twitter poll, will Carrie go to Atlanta or New York? And that's sort of how we phrased it. Almost everybody would pick Atlanta. Yeah. And that that's, what's interesting here. So go ahead. Sorry to cut you off, but killer Brooks outfit is going to start on TV directly after USWA on KTVT. So that's the big superstation that, that Jerry Jarrett was interested in with world-class and now killer Brooks has TV right after him on the same freaking show. And there's more news. This is from the torch on June 21st. Just before going to press one source close to the USWA told the torch that the July on July 31st, the sportatorium may be shut down. The city has condemned the sportatorium ruling the foundation that the bleachers are on is unsafe. The arena. And that term is used loosely will be bolted shut by the city of Dallas. USWA owner, Jerry Jarrett would then close the Texas half of the USWA and simply send Dallas KTVT a tape from Memphis each week. If another location could not be found. Now people have talked about the sportatorium being a dump forever, but do you remember hearing this? Wait a minute. They're going to condemn it and shut the doors. See, we heard that about the concession stands. We heard that about the footing, the bleachers, you know, you just hear all that. It was a lot of chatter, but you know, and I mean, I talked to the folks this Saturday. I mean, Grass still won't grow on that property and the city owns it. Now, I mean, so there has been a negative connotation. I don't know if there's some spooks still over there, but no, I did. I mean, there was all kinds of chatter like that, but never anything concrete ever. Good rumor and innuendo, my friend. Oh, for sure. (laughs) I, uh, I can't help, but wonder, uh, what's next here. Let's keep, as we march in, march through here, the news we know is going to happen. Uh, the very next week after hearing, Hey, it looks like we might be doing something with Carrie and WCW. It looks like Carrie is going to be leaving for the WWF. Von Eric is scheduled to start with Titan at the July 17th TV taping. Von Eric will start full-time on the house shows on August 7th, mainly against barbarian and Haku. That's from the observer. Now the Matt watch would say Titan expects both John Nord and Carrie Von Eric to be at their next tapings. Nord will probably probably will, but lots of doubt is hanging over Carrie. The key reason Carrie may not be there is the reports are that Jerry Jarrett has offered him a chance to book his own USWA Dallas angles to keep him on board. And most people expect him to go for it in the middle of all this you're out of action with an eye infection because Chico threw hot sauce in your eye. But in reality, you're on vacation in Canada. Is that accurate? That's accurate. We used to go fishing up at Lake LaCroix, straight up from International Falls, catch the biggest and best smallmouth bass in the world. It was a blast. But yeah, that was, we did a story to leave me off TV either one or two weeks. Action Media Group is a name you may not be familiar with, is written here in Matt Watch, but AMG sells the national ads for the NWA syndication package as the Wrestling Network. It also sells several spots for Andrews Entertainment shows, including the USWA, as TWN. NWA officials are reportedly thinking of pushing AMG to get out of the plus deal, which could be an economic jolt to Jerry Jarrett's package. Uh, this is, uh, an ad that ran in the action media group was placed in the brought in, in, in the issue of broadcasting. And it was all based on the January, 1990 NAPTI syndication convention. So 
the gist here is, Hey man, if the NWA pulls out and these advertisers want to buy wrestling, maybe that's good for us, but our top star is still in limbo. The latest on Kerry Von Eric is he will not be going to the WWF. Whether the WWF knows it or not is unknown. Kerry is scheduled to start on July 16th in Omaha, Nebraska. Last week he was wrestling in Hawaii. This week he's still wrestling for the USWA. And he's told the torch that he has decided not to leave Texas. So you know what that means. Matt, Matt watch would say Kerry Von Eric's WWF start was scheduled for Monday night. He told Titan he'd definitely be there. And he told Jerry Jarrett, he was definitely staying. If he goes, he'll get a book, a big push in light of the beefcake vacancy. Of course, as a reminder, beefcake, although we've had a lot of fun with him on my shows was white hot as like an intercontinental championship level guy, but he just had the parasailing accident. So there is a spot now for a baby face, but he's guaranteed and promised Jerry Jarrett. He's not leaving. So he debuts with the WWF on Monday night in Omaha. And it's the most talked about thing of the week. Carrie arrived and will appear on both superstars of wrestling and Saturday night's main event this coming weekend. WWF even got Carrie on, on interviews in all the cities where Carrie was supposed to replace Brutus beefcake in tag matches, which does include a few Texas cities reports. I got where the Titan has its fingers crossed that Terry, that Carrie will stay for the long haul, but was somewhat disappointed in him as a worker. Still, because the company desperately needs a new face superstar and the guy is marketable, expect expect a super push between now and the next pay-per-view. So on July 20th, they run a show at the Dallas Sportatorium. It's Kerry Von Erich's final appearance and 1100 people show up, including Kerry. He does show up and he beats Rod Price by DQ because Skandar interferes. And just to make his final night memorable after the match was over, Kerry grabbed the house mic and said this was his final night with the promotion and that he had joined the WWF. He said now he'll be teaming up everywhere, not with Beefcake, but with the Ultimate Warrior against Rick Rude and Kurt Henning, including the August 3rd show at Reunion Arena in Dallas. This must have thrilled Jerry Jarrett to no end since Titan has Reunion, which is three quarters of a mile from the Sportatorium, booked on a Friday night head to head with this group. Let's process what I just said right there. <laughs> One of the owners of this promotion promises the other owner. I'm definitely staying. Thank you for letting me be in control of my booking and my angles. I'm not leaving. Texas is my home. Let's build this thing. Let's do it. And then he shows up at a WWF TV taping does promos promoting that he's going to be in all of these cities, including Texas comes back to his home promotion that he's part owner of gets a win by DQ grabs the house mic and says, this is my last night and be sure to see me in this town on this date, three quarters of a mile from here, head to head with this show. Don't come here, go there and see me. And he's part owner of this thing. All I can think when I, as I just explained, this is your dad's conversation with Fritz. Don't do it. That feels like, by the way, the next week, Carrie's name isn't even mentioned on TV. It's like he never existed as well. He should, but I can only imagine your dad had to be a 10 out of 10 pissed here. Well, Conrad, throw you a little curveball. The one thing, uh, a couple of things. 
So the way the business was, there was the syndication business, which were on its own P&L, and then the live event business. Carrie and Kevin were making fat checks. So my father never really believed a word that came out of either one of them's mouth after a while got going, but still found it hard to believe. He ain't. He's really not going to go to WWF because he's making good to great money for really doing nothing. The syndication, he he was the star on the show, but he wasn't the one that was, you know, it was the, the business model going. But, so that's one thing. Then Carrie, finally, all right, he's leaving. He's doing this. He's doing that. My dad, and he'll, uh, if you pressed him for this, he always had a soft spot for Carrie. He may not admit it. Maybe I don't know where he's at on today, but I remember having these conversations and actually others that I talked to. He always kind of had a soft spot for big old Carrie, big old teddy bear type deal. Not so much Kevin. Well, not at all, Kevin. But to my recollection, it was, hey, he's going this whole red carpet and everything. Carrie, go tell him this is your final night and 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 let him know that you're going to WWF and leave it at that. I don't think the old man planned on him plugging Reen and Arena show. No way. <laughs> but as far as saying good night, thank you, my dad was up for that. Um, and then good old teddy bear, like, well, I'm gonna go ahead and throw some plugs in there. But one of the interesting whole things that led up to all this conversation, not led up, that my dad was having conversations where I can remember him going, See, son, Vince McMahon wants a talent because he's short of talent right now. Can you imagine him signing up? And he would reference Kevin and Carrie's demons, but Vince McMahon needs baby faces so bad. He's entertaining the thought of hiring these guys. He's desperate for talent. You know, it was that kind of conversation that was going through Jerry Jarrett's mind is that the territories had gone away. Now, again, this is late eighties. Where's Vince going to get his talent from? If I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times during this era because Vince had hired Hogan said, you know, all the territory guys. So where are you going to develop all the talent? So my dad way back when was, how are we going to create developmental talent? How are we going to create developmental talent? But yeah. And so you look at the roster with, with, uh, you know, not just beefcakes accident, but it was in a lot of ways, Hogan and others and the Hulkamania run was on the decline without question during this time. It's, it's amazing. You know, we're in 1990, so this is very much the, the ultimate warrior era, mm-hmm. but, but boy, it is amazing to think about how all of this has just evolved, but it really did kind of backfire. The observer would write Jarrett's card at the Dallas Sportatorium drew its largest crowd of the year, approximately 1750. That's 1,750 fans, by the way. Earlier, not too long ago, we were talking about them drawing 150. Now we're at 1750. And while the WWF drew more fans at Reunion Arena, which is less than a mile down the road from the Sportatorium, there were only 3,000 fans there to see Kerry Von Erich's first house show match with Titan. And that, meant, that meant the WWF lost money on the promotion because the rent alone at Reunion Arena is 30 grand. However, a much bigger story took place over the weekend. When KTV TV channel 11 in Dallas, which has carried the USWA show in a two hour block from 10 PM to midnight since the beginning of time 
announced it was dropping the program effective the next month. They're going to replace it with superstars of wrestling from the WWF. Bingo. As recently as 18 months ago, the KTVT show in Dallas was the highest rated show in any of the major top 10 markets. USWA losing the slot was not a hasty decision as both the WWF and NWA were working on getting the slot for some time, but the straw that broke the camel's back for the USWA were the continuing amounts of complaints from viewers over the past two months. The main complaints regarded the repeated women beating angles involving Tony Adams and Tessa and the usage of profanity and racial slurs on the broadcast. Ironically, the day after the show was canceled, the station set a record for complaints because of yet another angle involving Tony Adams and Jeannie in which Tony ripped Jeannie's blouse off and she ran around on a half bra. My goodness. It's pretty remarkable when you think about the one, two punch here of Carrie's gone, but now we've lost our TV and I almost wonder if Vince didn't use that in negotiations, you would assume as he's trying to put that deal together. Well, we got their biggest star. We got Carrie Von Eric that had to play into it. Don't you think? Well, you're missing one little nugget here. That's all chatter of, Hey man, they're doing shock jock TV and blah, 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 blah. Hey, we got the biggest star, but Hey, here's another deal. I'm going to pay you. Mm. I'm going to pay to be on TV. So Vince was oh, paying versus a, a barter deal and a trade. Yes, sir. Yeah. Vince's strategy of, of all the above of I'm going to go into these markets and pay them. He tried Memphis and Memphis is like, you ain't going to get the rating. Thank God. My dad had the good relationship in these other towns, but Vince's strategy was we're going to go pay to be on markets coast to coast. How does a programmer turn that down? They don't. The local markets, they're like, nope, that's, that is, that is cash that I can put on my bottom line. And I still get to sell commercials because Vince only wants out of 14 minutes. He only wants seven. I want to remind you here, the crowd here at the USWA show where it's running opposite Kerry Von Erich's debut. can't believe this is real Carrie in his promo when he's saying goodbye and Hey, I'm leaving. This is my last night. A lot of fans understood to think that he would be back here on August 3rd, teaming with the ultimate warrior. So they didn't understand he's going to the WWF. They thought Carrie is going to tag with the ultimate warrior here at the sportatorium. The next week, the crowd is back down to 500, but because by the way, the WWF expected this big shot in the arm. Hey, we're in Dallas. We got Carrie Von Eric. They saw 3000 fans there and they are hugely disappointed, but Matt watch would write Carrie wasn't exactly packing them in the sportatorium. So very few of us were actually surprised who was surprised quote. Many wrestlers were angry this week when paychecks come houses were up in Memphis and Dallas, but the paychecks were not. Hmm. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. <laughs> I wonder why the houses were up, but, uh, in, I was sitting there thinking as you were sort of spilling that out, Hulkamania was on the downslide. You sort of mentioned the warrior deal yep. and 
WCW uh, was not setting the woods on fire. This time, you can probably tell me better than I can recall, but they were blowing and going across the country. The, their live events weren't setting the world on fire. It was that early new generation wasn't born yet. It's a, again, it's the, the, the distribution transition. It's, it's really uh, the, 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 the era was funky like a monkey, if you will. Well, uh, it continues to twist and turn. Joe Petacino is going to make a weekend trip to Dallas. And now everybody's thinking, Hey, maybe he's going to buy the world-class promotion. Maybe he's going to buy the sportatorium. He puts a statement out. We're not interested in the sportatorium. And I can tell you, we're not trying to buy the promotion. We are involved in some talks, but we cannot discuss that at this time. We know that's going to wind up being global somewhere in the middle of all this. John Tatum gets sent to prison for a probation violation. Tatum under the terms of his probation for a manslaughter charge in an auto accident several years prior was prohibited from using drugs. And when he was caught, it was a violation. And now he faces two to five years in prison. Other departures from the area include Tessa, who's quitting the wrestling business to go back to college and, and study nursing. It's, uh, unbelievable. It feels like this is almost uh, Murphy's law. What can go bad is and the funeral Jer- procession is going on. The grave is uh, the, the 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 coffin's been shut. The nail went in the coffin. We we got out to the funeral home. had had a quick little service. That casket's being lower, lowered. There's some dirt being thrown off. Oh, Tatum's going to prison. Oh, Carrie went to WWF. Uh, oh, channel 11. Whoa. Okay. Pastor is, uh, sort of wrapping things up and say, uh, folks, um, <laughs> I mean, you can just, it's it, again, this is, this is pretty cool that man, you are retelling it from a 2020 lens in hindsight, but yes, it's a game set match, pal. Uh, Meltzer right. Semi main eventers are getting paid about a hundred dollars less than what the lowest paid referee got five years ago when world-class was a hot territory. But now we've got bigger problems from the week of September 3rd, 1990, a legal battle for power in Dallas is taking place as on Friday night, an injunction was posted on the wall of the dressing room at the sportatorium, which nearly closed the building down without a card. A lawsuit is being filed for control of the company with Kevin and Carrie Von Erich going to battle against Jerry Jarrett and Max Andrews. The Von Erichs who own 40% of the Dallas office got an injunction, which for now ties Jarrett's hands and running the company. As Jarrett is prohibited from writing any checks, using any funds from the company account or selling anything with the Von Erich name, or even using their wrestling ring. The Von Erichs claim that Jarrett misappropriated company funds. Apparently the Von Erichs haven't gotten any money from what they claim should have been company profits. However, it is alleged that Jarrett and Andrews have made a lot of money from the television syndication of the USWA programs. The preliminary hearing on their custody battle for the promotion takes place on September 13th. It's interesting because both Kevin Von Erich and Jerry Jarrett were at the sportatorium on Friday and wrestlers were going back and forth telling each that they thought the other side in the fight, since the wrestlers have no idea who will win out. It is said that Jarrett was laughing the entire thing off while Kevin believes that Jarrett won't even bother to fight them in court and will go with his tail between his legs back to Tennessee and the Von Erichs will have their promotion back. While there's no basis for confirmation of this, there is a lot of talk that Fritz von Eric may get back in. At least the wrestlers gossip is that Fritz will be back around and save the channel 11 time spot. 
which would save the promotion and Gary Hart would be Booker once again. My goodness. Um, Kevin walks around the locker room. He's with Gary Hart. He introduces him as the new Booker. Bill Dundee is the only person present from quote unquote Jarrett's side that witnessed this. Jerry Jarrett is officially the Booker of the USWA Dallas with Jeff Jarrett and Bill Dundee as his assistants. And a source close to Jerry Jarrett said that Jarrett is not worried and did not expect any changes. So there's a lot of moving parts here, including Kevin's younger brother, Kerry winning the intercontinental title on national TV. And supposedly there's a source that says that made Kevin jealous. So now he needs something to sink his teeth into. This is, um, a mess. And Matt watch says the real dispute between Kevin and Jerry Jarrett happened when Carrie left for the world wrestling federation. How close is that? Do you believe that to be the case? It all was layer on top of layer on top of layer, but yes, it definitely factored in. Um, but again, the insanity of it all is that the, the, the syndication money was good. Kevin and Carrie both had it and were desperate. Please come out and help us. They got the ship turned around and were making money. And then Carrie leaves. And then Kevin, who had no show after no show, couldn't leave well enough alone. He's going to come back in and, oh, come here, attorney. And we'll, we've covered a little bit of this. Let's sue the guy who righted the ship. Yeah, I mean, you talk about some real complete. Kevin couldn't make shows when he wasn't the boss. Why? I mean, just. Well, here's where the snot thickens. Sources close to the USWA told Matt watch Jarrett claims Kerry signed an agreement to forfeit his shares of the promotion. If he ever left for full-time employment with another wrestling group, of course, Kevin is disputing that, but here's what was filed by the Von Eric's lawyer to exhibit their complaint on August 30th. Kevin Kerry and Jarrett agreed to devote full time to the corporation and be in operations. It is understood that Kerry realizes and recognizes that Kerry is a key person of the corporation as a wrestler, as a wrestler, Kerry agrees to enter into a contract to wrestle for the corporation at least, but not limited to an average of four times each week during a calendar year for a fee of $300 per match, unless otherwise agreed for special or large shows. Kerry further agrees not to wrestle for a company or entity competing with the corporation while he is a shareholder in the corporation. So clearly. When Kerry goes to the WWF, he's in breach. I mean, he, he, he couldn't do this. He shouldn't be able to do this. And the highlight of the evening is, is, is not what's going on in the ring that night. It's what's happening in the dressing room. This five page injunction notice filed by Kevin and Kerry Atkinson, who we know as Von Eric is essentially saying that. Kevin and Kerry own 20% each Jared owns 50% and the referee Bronco Lubitsch owns the remaining 10%. But now there's lawyers and quote, plainclothes detectives everywhere because now everybody is trying to keep tabs on. We're keeping the door count. We're keeping tabs at the souvenir booth. We're keeping count at the concession stands. Everybody's worried about what's going to happen with the money all of a sudden. And buddy, nobody was concerned when they weren't showing up. Um, a particularly telling excerpt from the Von Erichs complaint. Here it is quote in breach of his fiduciary and confidential duty to the Von Erichs. And in a bizarre display of pettiness, jealousy, and egomania, 
Jarrett in conspiracy and collusion with Andrews began methodically excluding the Von Erics from wrestling appearances. He began failing to book performances for them and instead began promoting his own son, Jeff Jarrett as a purported wrestling superstar, not content with ignoring his contractual obligations, breaching his fiduciary duties and violating the trust placed in him by the Von Erics. It's clear that Jarrett intended to destroy their ability to earn an income and to attempt to wrongfully appropriate for himself and his son, the respect and fame of the Von Erics. Although Jarrett has not succeeded in this goal, his actions have seriously hurt and damaged the Von Erics, which has necessitated the filing of this lawsuit. So the idea is, Hey man, and I just can't believe this is real. It's real. That they're alleging they being the Von Erics are saying Jerry Jarrett didn't book us. Cause he was trying to starve us out and make his son, the star instead of us. But in reality, they didn't freaking show up. <laughs> Kevin didn't Gary was at least a little better. It's, it's amazing to me. And by the way, there's a lot of talk that Jerry Jarrett has signed to deal with the total sports network ESPN to produce first run programming on Monday nights, beginning in October, replacing the AWA. So on some level. He's got, you know, this mess in Dallas, but also I'm going to freaking ESPN huge deal. I lost my Dallas TV. Oh gosh. What am I going to do? ESPN while it's not what it is now, or I guess ESPN isn't even, isn't even what it was 10 years ago, but you get what I mean. ESPN is a national opportunity. This is a big deal. And a lot of the guys in the back, they're kind of split because Jarrett has been paying the underneath guys, $25 a piece to work TV on Saturday mornings, but the stars work for free and the sportatorium play at payoffs when the houses are up are just 65 to hundred dollars. So there's a lot of local guys who aren't necessarily going to be shedding tears if Jerry loses his power, but do they really want to work for Kevin Von Erich? And then when it comes down to it, Dave Meltzer says this, when faced with a fourth down with little time remaining, USWA president, Jerry Jarrett chose to punt. Jarrett cleaned out his office Wednesday at the Dallas Sportatorium the day before the court hearing to determine the validity of Kevin Von Erich's claim that Jarrett had misappropriated funds by not showing up for the hearing. Jarrett forfeited control of the Dallas branch of the USWA to Von Erich, who was a minority owner, but few people think that's the end of the story. Even though Von Erich has been telling people he won the ultimate battle, but it actually is going to turn out to be a very short war for control. Most wrestlers in Dallas believe that Jared is simply sitting out a few weeks, waiting for Von Erich to crumble the promotion as it crumbled when he was in control a few years back, which caused the Von Erichs to go to Jared originally to bail them out. Then Jared can return to Texas and run the promotion once again, but this time without Kevin and Carrie as business partners. So that is the big question. And what did Kevin really win? Because Jarrett's in control of the 100 plus station syndicated network. He's just got the ability to run shows at the freaking sportatorium. It's just amazing to me, Jeff, that, you know, this thing is now going to be a court battle and your dad is like, you know what? We've seen the, we've seen this happen before. They're just going to tank the thing. And he knows he's got in his back pocket, the syndicated network and the ESPN thing. They have the right to run this building. That's nearly going to be condemned. And maybe he's got some favor with the boys, but that's short term because he's going to do what he always does. And there won't be any money. 
And sure enough, that's how it's going to play out. Right. And Conrad, that's the insanity of all of it that, and you put it out that Gary Hart and all those different guys, Hey, we're going to come in and do it. Right. Well, Kevin and Carrie had the whole ball of wax and Michael Hayes is the one said, Hey, little man talking about my father, can you come help us? So we go out there, rebrand, do this, do that. Carrie gets up, breaches his contract leaves. And now it's Kevin, the only remaining Von Eric, who no shows everything, but Hey, we're going to run this and we're going to get a tall, a lawyers and you know, just the whole mess and debacle of it all. But the whole sort of chuckling part about all of it is, is that Kevin went and told the attorneys this whole story about, you know, and you laid that out. So, but the chuckle part is once the attorneys got in and did just the least bit of discovery, literally this final nail and the possession and the funeral and, and, and all that, the, the attorneys jumped in that hearse and said, folks, let's go down to the Waffle House, have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> this process is over. So just to be clear, what made them so hot and world-class KTVT that's with Vince McMahon. Now it's gone. And the, the promotion didn't get a deal with ESPN. Jerry Jarrett did the promotion. Didn't have a syndicated network. Jerry Jarrett did. So what did Kevin win when he won this lawsuit? He won the right to promote wrestling every Friday at the sportatorium, but he has no TV. And I mean, listen, it, they go back and forth with the attorneys and ultimately, um, it would be said here. There, besides Kerry's jump to the WWF, other breaches cited were Kevin working for Rob Roussan's uh, IWA and the repeated failure of plaintiffs and especially Kevin Von Erich to show up at scheduled appearances required by the agreement. So now everybody understands your dad is like, no, it didn't happen that way, but you know what? You can have it because here's what I've got. So here's what Jarrett has control of the syndicated network, 105 stations. Now they just lost outlets in Baltimore and Tampa, but they did add Boston, but they have control of it. And when I say they, I, I mean, Max Andrews and Jerry Jarrett, it ain't the Von Eriks. They also have the availability of the wrestlers insiders. Matt watch has spoken to with, uh, believe few existing USWA wrestlers will ever go to the Von Eric Hart camp. And the lead announcer, Craig Johnson is firmly committed to Jarrett. One source close to the group says any who go to work for Kevin will probably come back running in a month. So what, what is there left to discuss? I mean, if Jarrett has ESPN and he's got the syndication network and Carrie doesn't have TV. Now that's the, the first step of course, for Carrie or Kevin is let's rename the promotion world-class championship wrestling. So he's going to do that and he's going to uh, go ahead and, and not have TV but he's going to get one last chance to promote it on channel 11 before Titan gets that TV too. And he draws 375 fans. He has a camera crew here to film the card. It's the same crew that had worked at the sportatorium before, but now they're using different equipment and they're trying to film this. So Kevin can shop the tape around town and come out with his own new little TV outlet. He did fire Craig Johnson. He brings in three new announcers, uh, with bill Mercer overseeing, but of course, as you might imagine, it's not going very far. 
The September 14th show at the Sportatorium has 375 fans. Jeff Jarrett, no shows. So does Bill Dundee and Kamala. Of course, those are all firmly with Team Jarrett. They even tried to promote this deal where before they tape a segment outside, there's a limo coming and they're telling fans, Hey, go gather around the limo. One of the biggest stars in the country is inside of this car and he's making a surprise return. And then the door opens out steps, Kevin and 80 people just groan and walk away. <laughs> I mean, that's directly from the newsletter here. Uh, there was a surprise in all the who's going where Billy Joe Travis is going to, uh, stay. Most people expected him to stay with the Memphis crew, but that's not the case, but the ESPN deal winds up being a barter deal where the USWA gets some commercial spots to sell, but they're not compensated with cash for their shows. And ESPN doesn't want them to run any 900 number ads, but still it's a good deal and a great opportunity. And it's one that the Von Ericks aren't going to get to participate in. And the observer would eventually report in October. A TV deal is not near for the Von Ericks. This should have been a taping week with Bill Mercer and Mark Lawrence. They're supposed to return as announcers. However, there's no cameras there and there's no Mercer there, but Mark did come back and, and work as a ring announcer. But folks in Memphis are saying, Jared will be back in a few weeks. Most people are thinking it's going to happen by November. That's reported everywhere. The torch, the observer, Matt watch. Then there's a falling out with Chris Adams and Kevin Von Eric. And now Adams is out and he's just going to try his hand on the independence. The lead attorney for the Von Ericks resigns from the case. Mm. Even mm. they have had enough. Uh, Von Eric's lawyer, eventual GWF promoter, Gray Pearson officially withdrew counsel in a letter filed with the Dallas County clerk on October 8th with no reason giving. Of course, Adams issue money. He's resigning as booker in a dispute over the booking fees for a world-class he repeatedly told Von Eric he could make more money booking his own cards without having to be under the umbrella. And that's eventually exactly what he does. In the meantime, though, Jeff and Jerry Jarrett are headed to Japan to talk about some sort of a uh, talent exchange for the future. The beat goes on. As far as the Von Ericks, they draw 190 fans here on October 12th. Steve Austin has stuck around and we can probably guess why that's Jeff Rotuttle's fault. Uh, <laughs> but, but either way though. Uh, th this makes me laugh in the torch, a promotion that needs to keep the lights off in the arena until match time to save on electricity costs. is probably not going to be around for the long haul. In fact, it gets worse at the end of the month. It's written here that they can no longer afford to print the date, seat and section on the tickets. So each of the tickets has to be handwritten November 2nd. There's only 140 fans. And by this point, everyone is ready for Jarrett to return. And here's the story story of the week happened Tuesday as the court order shut down the sportatorium for failure to come up with the rent throughout the course of the day, a judge friend of Fritz's somehow got word out of what happened and he paid the bill for Kevin. This keeps the doors open for another month. Hopefully now, how is Kevin paying the guys $75 across the board? So a lot of folks are just straight up quitting. And then Wade Keller pins down Chris Adams to do a torch talk. And Keller says, do you think the Von Ericks feel you owe them? And Adam says, I think they feel everybody does. Keller says, what do you think of Kevin Von Erich's recent attempts at promoting? And Adam says, I think it's pathetic. I think he should be more open-minded to business, more trusting and realize his position and situation in the business world and work from there. 
instead of thinking that the Von Erichs rule the world. I mean, really? So yeah, Jerry Jarrett remains the only promotion in town at this point, besides the WWF and WCW and try as they might, there is just absolutely no traction with this Von Eric opportunity. And Jarrett seems like he might be backing away from the sportatorium. According to Matt watch, we're told it would cost him 60 to 80 grand to return to Dallas. And the sportatorium owner is reportedly running scared of a lawsuit. If he turns away, Kevin Von Eric, if Jarrett does go to Dallas, he'll likely go to the Bronco bowl. As we're told it seats more than the sportatorium, but don't be surprised if you see Jarrett open up in a new territory and it's written at the end of the year that he's probably going to run the Bronco bowl in 1991, but buddy, this is just a mess. And one that it even makes the, the actual paper, the Dallas times Herald, uh, they have a whole story here and they're saying that this thing's going to shut down and, it, and it's going to be the end of yet another regional office based on no television. Problems with an out-of-state promoter. Of course, that's Jerry Jarrett. And they raise the rent at the Sportatorium. It says beneath a wooden ceiling, crisscrossed with electrical wires, the large form of Kevin Von Erich fills an office chair. Sitting cross-legged, the professional wrestler muses, it's hard to know what to do. I don't have a lawyer or anybody else to counsel me. My dad is gone, so I got to do the only thing I know to do, and that's tell the truth. First, my brother, David gets kicked in the stomach and dies. And then Mike, and then Carrie's terrible accident. And now this, it really galls me that people can get away with this trickery and deception. When we came out here, the Von Erics were 150 grand. This is Jerry Jarrett. Now when we came out here, the Von Erics were 150 grand in debt and losing money every night. We paid off their debts. And when things were profitable, they wanted me to take 30% instead of 60%. And I just wouldn't do it. So there you go. November 23rd, Kevin ends the Von Erich's 36 year stint at the sportatorium wrestling matches have been held there for 47 years. And after winning his last match, he grabs the microphone. He softly reports. This is the last match at the sportatorium. He starts out slowly, a little nervous quote. I can't really go all into it. He tells the tearful fans. I gave it a good fight. I gave it all I had. And he speaks the familiar lines and his voice builds strength. And he gets his stride recapturing that Von Erich persona. A cocky, good guy primed for the fight. The crowd's now cheering. The Von Erics are down, but the Von Erics are not out and we'll be back. Just stick with us and see. Now, as a reminder, the building, this is from Meltzer, the building rent had been a dollar a ticket for years, but now that they're down to 200 folks, they changed the rent to 2000 per show, which means that's more than the gate. We just can't do it, especially if there's no TV. And it's a pretty emotional thing for fans. Like there was even a fan there who had a plaque for his deceased wife. She had sat there for 27 years and now that plaque is gone. And so is wrestling here at the sportatorium, at least for now. Of course, we know global is going to come back and try to do their own thing, but man, it's just not the same. And this is a sad way to see it go out. And it was a big mess and. Eventually Kevin even sells the non-existent world-class championship wrestling to Mario Savoldi, but even his promotions barely existing. And it's just a giant freaking mess, dude. And they never filed anything else on the lawsuit. That's worth mentioning. They asked for an extension of time on October 22nd, 1990, but nothing ever came for it. And just it withered away. Uh, but of course your dad, he's not done. He goes and leases a bus from Waylon Jennings. It's got a microwave and a VCR and shower facilities. And he's going to start doing his dream of trucking these guys back and forth. But world-class is dead and buried. 
Can't wait for that podcast talking about the bus stories and all that. That's a whole nother podcast that we'll have a lot of fun at, but it was over little footnote on Billy Travis, Billy, uh, fell in love, said he's going to get married. Nobody ever believed it, but he came to my father and he used to call him Jerry talk real slow, Kentucky draw. And my dad cut him off with the pass and said, Billy, not only do you have my permission? You don't have to ask for my permission. We want you to stay and you work and you do whatever you got to do. You got to feed your mouth and feed your family and you got your girlfriend and blah, 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 blah. But Billy was all emotional and had, we got ready for the conversation, but I said, Billy, they're going to be out of business in six weeks. Keep your, keep, get as many bookings. Anyway, I, I remember that whole scenario and that, that deal because my dad and Billy had a really good relationship, but yeah, that was it. It was over the old, the high level notes. When, when I, I can remember hearing the news, Kevin's attorney quit. I'm like, huh. in my mind, I didn't say that. I didn't see that coming, but that said it all. Said it all. It's end it's, of an era. It's amazing to think what a pardon the pun, a Titan world-class yep. was, and now it goes out with just a whimper. And I, it comes down to, I mean, at the end of the day, we can call it whatever greed. we want to call it, but it was bad management, you know, the greed. greed and ego and all that jazz. It's just, it's crazy to think what this was and then what it became and how sad it was at the end. I mean, we just talked about these records of over 30,000 people here to see the Von Eriks. And then this last match, man, just a few hundred there. And, and just Kevin shame. and just Kevin. And just Kevin, I always thought that was kind of a, a, a really unique footnote that just Kevin and, and he was there when it, the, the, it wasn't even a, you know, it went from a roaring fire to a little ember to that last drop of rain, put the whole fire out and it was over. It was emotional. I can remember getting the, hearing the stories and the longtime fans and the Von Eric era was over. And he was, you know, if Jarrett was coming back, it wasn't under any condition attached to the Von Eric's whatsoever. It was going to be a new day if that were to happen, but it was like, we went home and my dad said, it is what it is. His legal advice was don't spend another penny on legal. Cause you cannot fight stupidity. Just let it happen. Well, listen, we've, we've been, We've tried to be fair, but at times, boy, we were dunking on the Von Eriks a little bit and it's all water under the bridge now. And I know that's who you are now, but what's your relationship like with Kevin? When was the last time you talked to Kevin? Have y'all caught up in recent years? Now, cause Lacey worked for us at TNA and I've met, uh, the boys a a couple of times, but uh, to to me it's non-existence and look, we all screw up. I mean, shoot, I could go, uh, we could talk several more hours on my screw ups. But it was so disheartening back then that I just could not wrap my head around. Guys, I'm seeing the checks. What are you doing? Just let it be. We know that you were making nothing. And Max Andrews, there was that that monster truck pull, which we didn't go into because it's a different podcast. But the monster trucks, not pull, the monster trucks and wrestling and syndication, that was that was that was rocking and rolling and didn't have to be screwed up. But look, even if Kevin wouldn't have acted as, you know, the, getting butts in seats was an issue. It was a real issue because the changing of the guard and the distribution and Hulkamania and WCW is just a new era. But uh, yeah, man, this was a fun episode just to, you know, obviously doesn't end on a high note, but it we told the story. 
WCW, the final name. Well, WCCW. That's right. That's right. WCC. Yeah. Either way, though, uh, I, I had a good time with this one. I'm excited for us to be in Dallas again. We're going to be there April 1st, supershowlive.com. Jeff freaking Hardy is going to be there. Come join us. And we've got a lot more surprises, but I Ooh. think we're probably going to leave the rest of surprises. I don't know. I may get a wild hair and we'll release another one. Go grab your tickets while you still can. This will sell out. Supershowlive.com is the place to be. It's Friday, April 1st, and you're going to get to meet Jeff Hardy and get some swag signed and get your picture with Jeff. And of course, our Jeff and our Eric, it's going to be an awesome time. Make plans to join us and check out all of our shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Jeff, this was awesome. I know we went long. Sorry for taking up so much of your time today, but I think we told the story about as completely as we could today. All the notes. Uh, I'm telling you, the research is phenomenal on this, but there was so much anyway. That, look, there's a lot of folks, probably the majority will hear this, except old Pondwater Dave will, you know, now he'll gas me about blowing up as well as the inaccuracies of this report. Anyway, no, this was fun. It was good. It's uh end of an era. Good little history lesson for our ad-free family and our and my world listeners. A heck of a history lesson. Great little history lesson. We'll be back with more history next week, right here on My World. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.